And welcome everybody, episode 138, Redley Frederick has wrestling, I am JD, here to talk a lot of women's wrestling, New Japan, AEW, and the retro of AJW, the journey through the classics, ever so approaching episode 100, which is the Big Egg wrestling show at the Dome, and then obviously last, and certainly least, is the WCW Retro Reviews, now in the year 2000. And boy, oh boy, is it despairing each and every time. What we what are we going to talk about today? Well, we got Wave, Spark Joshi, TJPW, Russell Princess, a lot of stardom to go over, 5-star Grand Prix, the finals, the fallouts, Nagoya, all kinds of stuff. AJW Classics. October of 1994. New Japan Ryogoku. AEW The Fallout. From Wrestle Dream. And a lot of injury talk. You'll get the uh, injury talk and injury debate uh, at the beginning of the AEW uh, section of the podcast that will be a very uh, kind of special discussion there between myself and Ricky uh, along those lines. And then, of course, WCW 2000. Two weeks from sold out, no, Super Brawl 2000. So a little sports talk. Astros are in the ALCS, seventh straight year. There you go. Saddened by the uh, sweeped. <laughs> that fell upon the Blue Jays there. So Ghostros, I suppose, as we're down to four last teams. It's a all-Texas ALCS. That should be fun. Should be fun. If you don't know, I grew up in Houston, so there you go. Hockey season started. Avs off to a nice little start, undefeated. One of the few teams left. Looking strong out of the gate. Very exciting there. Leafs. Oh, yeah, baby. This year's the year, we swear. Austin Matthews, two straight hat tricks to start off the year. Love it. Love it, love it. LPGA. Angel Yin. Winning in Shanghai. Nice little tournament there. Like a fucking six-person playoff or some shit. And she wins. She finally wins the battle. That was uh, pretty good to watch. I watched the uh, the final day. So that was, uh, that was a marathon. As I was uh, fending off uh, a headache. For most of the day. <clears throat> Bowling, I have lots of ups and downs. I had a big up with a 775 series, flirted with that 800. Always great to do. And then I just struggled to strike <laughs> for the other remaining the past uh, two and a half weeks here, where I barely broke 600, couldn't string anything together. So I'm really Jekyll and Hyde in my game right now. But as for golf, as the season is coming to an end, I flirted with my personal best ever. Uh, just the other day, where I was sinking six and eight foot putts left and right, flirting with birdies on a few holes. Didn't make any, but I got a few pars. And hole nine is just kicking my ass at the at the club I'm a member of. So triple bogey each and every time out on that one. That one's hard because it's it's an awkward like 200 and something yards uh, to this lake. So you have to kind of... If you don't have the distance off the tee to make it to the lake, you pretty much have to uh, lay up 
or barely get over it, so it's a huge risk. And then it's a it's a tough shot to the green. From there, it's real tight, heavy, heavy bunkers on each side, and it's a it's a pretty small green on an uphill. So, very difficult, very difficult. I always find myself laying up, and then the approach shot is so dangerous that I, you know, if I can't risk it, I'm either on on the bunker in the bunkers, or I'm just in front of the green, and then it's a tough tough little uphill chip to get there. So that's enough of the sports. That's where I'm at now. I did get my 1999 <laughs> Brunswick Command Zone drilled, so I'll be throwing that. I threw one game with it Thursday. Uh, struggled to get going with the uh, type of line uh, that was out there uh, last Thursday night, so I ended up switching and uh, did pretty okay after that. Uh, still struggling to string everything, anything together. But let's begin with some wave. As I get into this uh, quick and, well, let's play some Hikaru Shida. Might hear her a couple times, actually. So there you go. Wave. Now this is an interesting topic because Hikaru Shida has been champion all year in this promotion, has barely been there. Uh, Nozaki is still nursing this injury. Uh, you know, who knows when her knee is going to stop exploding. I think she had some setback I was asking around. But Wave ran uh, Shinjuku face to a crowd of 293 so if we look back at wave this year uh especially earlier this year they were getting 353 355 352 so for the hikaru shida title match against veni uh not even 300 people that's less than a new blood show that's less than uh i guess a uh regular old tjpw show these days uh, where they're cracking the 300s uh, quite often this year, at least in that sense. So a, a bad number uh, for Wave, uh, considering, uh, well, the talent pool they're drawing from. And if you look at the rest of this card, it's hard to it's hard to uh, really argue why uh, they're not pulling those kinds of numbers. Haruka Umasaki and Honoka in the opener, a three-way. That's where Miyuki Takase is stuck. And uh, poor her, she, like... Almost broke her leg, so she's out for a while. Kazuna Tanaka in a 10-minute rookie match. Then we got Risa Sara and Saki winning a three-way tag with Sakurota and Miyazaki. That is just nonsense comedy. Just never stops with this promotion. And then your semi-main event was a 15-minute draw of Kohaku and Saeeda, who have you know less appeal right now and less credibility than almost any rookie on the roster at this point. So that was their big chance. So it was it was solely on the main event for this. And Karoshi and Veni end up having an 18 and a half minute match. And I love this match, despite the card being uh, pretty much ass. Ishida comes out. She's looking great. Veni's in uh, some pretty sporting pretty good gear here. And uh, they both just killed each other. It was great. Uh, it was it was well structured around uh, big kicks and knees. 
in which they would catch each other off guard. Uh, big counter strikes is what we saw. So that was that was a good match structure that I was super into. And everything kind of looked good when it connected. Uh, it really got the audience into it. It was the first time we basically heard them all night. And uh, the Ida-Kohaku match just had nothing on this and not as good. Not nearly as good, to say the least. Um, Shida was uh, doing some awesome near falls. Uh, Venny had some good uh, had a good Michinoku driver spot into a moonsault uh, near the end. Uh, Shida ne- notably, Shida never hit any of her kind of major finishers. She did hit her Falcon Arrow, and they did some Joshi roll back and forth uh, like a marvelous or Stardom high speed match there. But I don't know. Shida's been kind of doing that move a lot, even in AEW. Uh, notably, her last two title matches <laughs> where she won. Uh, that's how she's been winning, but Sheeta never hit uh, the katana, and she never, yeah, she never hit any of her like major signature moves. So that's that's what was kind of separating this match from getting to the great level, you know, uh, from that like Arisanakajima uh, or Hanaka Nakamori type uh, type big level there. But I did I did have this at uh, four and a quarter. Uh, stars full three. I I did adore this match a lot uh, because they still had good near falls and good drama uh, to really rope you in. Venny wins off of I believe yeah it, it was uh, it was a kick out of the moonsault and then she wins with a like a fisherman driver uh, with the with the opposite arm hook in the leg. So good stuff there. This was a big recommendation. Easily waves best match of the year, especially after the extremely disappointing catch the wave tournament. And the wave final was just kind of nothing between Venny and uh, Saki. So, uh, enough of that. Uh, is this, you know what? Let me look at my listings here. Um, Hikaru Shida's easily... Uh, okay, let's see. Easily Hikaru Shida's best match of the year. Easily, easily, easily. I, I don't think that's without question. Okay, my little document here is loading. What do we got here for uh, the Joshi scene? Uh, Arisa Nakajima Sari, easily number one. Chikayo Nagashima Mio Momono. Um, Yuka Sakazaki Miyu Yamashita. Hanaka Nakamori Saki. Okay. It's better than Hanaka Nakamori Saki. And... I would say it's better than the Yuka Miyu match from TJPW. Because that's my... Yeah, is it better than Mio Momono Shikayo Nugget? No, it is, it is not better than that one. So this is the number three Joshi Indie match of the year in my books. Uh, it knocks out quite a few matches there. And yeah, I think that's a good spot for it. Uh, full three recommendation. There you go. And uh, let's see. what. Let's see if I can... Um, what I play here? So I'm about to transition into Spark Joshi, something I haven't talked about at all this year. What am I going to play for this? Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I don't have an all-caps Saki drop. I don't have a Hanako Nakamori drop. Not that she was on the show with it. Just kind of talking out loud here and stalling for time. But I could play... You know what? I can play Miyo Yamashita because then I could play... Uh, Mizuki, another, in the other segment here. So that's what I'll do. Is it going to go? 
Is it going to go? Come on there. There we go. Okay. Spark Joshi. So they uh, just had uh, in the past week uh, their most recent two events. And this has kind of been their formula where they'll run uh, two events, one in the West, one in the East. And you can actually get a uh, package deal for a pretty decent price uh, where you're getting both pay-per-views for essentially 10 bucks a pop, uh, which I think is totally fair. Um, if you got like Google Play credits or some sort of PayPal deal, you can get discounts off that. So I got plenty of Google Play credits to uh, discount these shows. Uh, all thanks to you, members of the Patreon. <laughs> I have all these Google credits uh, keeping that Google Drive alive. But um, yeah, because of that, I get to cover these shows. And I uh, kind of fended off the first couple shows, uh, which were back in June. And they uh, they are uh, Joshi Ignite West and East. One was from New Jersey. The other was from uh, West Covina, California. No idea where that is. Uh, not going to bother looking that up. But they essentially established uh, their first two titles. And I kind of like what they're what they're getting ready here for is they got a world title. They have a Pacific title. So you got your West and then you have your Atlantic title, your East. So I kind of like this idea of of three titles and. That also gives you ammo uh, for how you want to uh, have some title matches and all these shows and sort sort of keep the relevance and interest up. So I do like that idea. What's a little what's a little peculiar to me is now we're starting to see some booking techniques kind of uh, come to light. So let's go back to June, and I did get a hold of these matches too. Uh, have varying degrees of opinions over. Uh, what was seen on the first two shows, uh, it was really just kind of a, let's get out there, let's establish that Miyu Yamashita is the world champion of your promotion, uh, and then there was some undermatch undercards. Uh, below that, notably, the Masha Slamovich Rina Yamashita uh, time draw, which uh, they actually just paid off at a GCW Corkin that drew like next to nobody. Um, Maki Ito beats Brittany Blake. And Saki defeats Billy Starks. Now, that one, keep in the back of your head, okay? So, Saki defeats Billy Starks. We go to uh, Ignite West, which was June 16th, uh, which saw Miyu Yamashita defend the title against Delilah Doom. Maki Ito defeats Zeta Zhang. Reading Yamashita defeats Vert Vixen. These were pretty good matches. In the main event was for the newly established Pacific title. It was Ram Kaichao, of all people, defeating Saki in a 15-minute match. Uh, that was bad. That was no good, and that has a lot to do with Ram Kaichao. So, there you go. Saki loses that title match. So, what does that mean for what happened with Rising Heat West and Rising Heat East? The West show took place in Carson, California. The East show took place in Orlando, Florida, which... Hey, there's some uh, there's some listeners you could kind of point out in the crowd there <laughs> that was at the uh, at the Orlando show. I won't name names, but I saw you guys. I saw you guys in that dark basketball gym that you were in. But uh, my big takeaway from both these shows, 
besides the uh, Rising Heat West uh, atrocity that was production with the bad audio and uh, poor video quality, but the West show really stuck out because really starting to see uh, over the last six to eight months these wrestlers that have been the been in the LA dojo training, uh, namely like Viva Van, Mighty Myra, Zeta Zhang, Brooke Havoc, uh, Viperus to an extent. Uh, Danny Moe is not a part of that, but she's improved. Like the how the level of how much these women have improved in ring is extremely noticeable, and it's good. Uh, the beginning matches between Johnny Robbie, uh, another New Japan LA Dojo product. Uh, she's getting very much uh, heavily featured on a lot of these. Defeats Brooke Havoc, Viva Van def- defeats uh, Myra and Zhang. And all along on these shows, all it just it reminded me of is good training and good reps, and then proving it in the ring like this uh, really sticks out when I'm watching someone like a Trisha Dora later in the card, where over the last number of years, people had her pegged as a kind of a big prospect, uh, people should sign her, that kind of deal, and we're kind of three years later at this point, and when I'm looking at that undercard, and where Viva Van is, for example, someone I thought was actively like pretty bad a year ago. These people have passed up Trisha Dora in terms of skill and ability to put a, a match together and an interesting match together. I think there is, uh, I think those can be two separate things. Um, I thought the best match on the show was <laughs> the Maiko Ozaki Saki match that took place later, uh, and these Ramkai like. The promoter is clearly a fan of Ram Kaichou. Uh, it is a woman that does speak Japanese. Um, notably, the show uh, from who went to the Rising Heat West show uh, estimated attendance in California of about 200, maybe a little less, 180. And then um, the East show in Orlando was pegged at about 120 w- with a setup of 140, 150. Uh, and there were some empty seats. So they there's they seem to be selling what it's set up for um uh, minus a couple sides and extra rows so it's not totally successful yet out of the gate uh clearly there needs to still be some time and promotion involved and that's kind of why I'm here i think these shows were good and they did the job i think uh i think if you're looking for especially a joshi experience and you know you're not going to get the in-ring uh quality of a stardom but you're certainly going to get something comparable to like a peak ice ribbon, a uh, a, a pure J, um, even even TJPW to an extent. Um, the main event on the Spark Spark East show uh, was certainly kind of a, of that level. I'd put it around there. Uh, the booking's a little co- peculiar. So we we notably had the Saki loss uh, in beating Billy Starks. Okay, and then. We go to the Spark West show. Uh, let me just continue rolling down the card here. Sumiko Sakai defeats Danny Moe. Zaya Brookside defeats Vipress. Keep that in mind. Mayuki defeats Trisha Dora. Okay. And Maiko Zaki defeats Saki in 11 minutes. All right. Okay. Let's pump. Let's pump. Let's pump those brakes. So, booked for the Spark East show is... Ram Kaicho, Zaya Brookside for the Pacific title. Okay, makes sense. Zaya Brookside won. Fair enough. Maiko Zaki 
is against Amber Nova in the undercard. Hmm. While Saki is in the main event for the Atlantic title against Maya Yukihi. Sure seems like it should be the other way around. Maybe that was a mistake in politics and movement. Maybe that was the decision on the wrestlers. All I can say is what I saw with my eyes, and if uh, the end result was going to be Saki was going for that uh, Pacific title, or uh, Atlantic title, mind you, then she should have beat Maiko Ozaki. Okay? Because congruently on the East show, Ozaki lost in six minutes to Amber Nova. So what was the point of that win over Saki? Give her a tad of credibility, but doesn't bode well for building up Saki as a, a big challenger because the most protected person in this promotion right now seems to be Ryan Kaichou. And that, let me tell you, that Alex Gracia match was no good. And then on the next night, the Ram match against Zaya Brookside was also no good. Uh, among the weakest on the show. Both shows. Uh, let's see here. So the main event of the West show was Billy Starks going for the title against Miyu Yamashita. All right. <laughs> so Billy Starks, a loser going for a title. We see a pattern here. So Miyu Yamashita takes like 90% of this match. Just kicks her, just no problem, just handling her easily. Uh, just for the very, very stereotypical ref bump. In which then uh, this group Extinguish comes out. Starks gets the title. Hits Mew and wins the match. So there you go. Typical Western finish, typical WWE, WCW, pick an era, pick a company in the West. Uh, very typical finish. This was, um, it was already not a great match because of the one sidedness to it, and Billy Starks basically got no offense. So now uh, Spark is left with a champion with no credibility. And. Uh, that's kind of like the same as uh, Sendai and a number of other promotions out there, but that's the one I'm picking on in this uh, current form. Uh, did Billy Starks show up to the East show? She did not. What we are seeing, though, is something that is interesting, and this is what I call out for a lot of Joshi promotions to do all the time, is what uh, happened and occurred throughout the show at Spark West here which was this uh, this heel group called Extinguish, seemingly led by uh, Zeta Zhang and particularly Sumi Sakai. And they're just trying to recruit, like, everybody. Viva Van's in it. They got Danny Moe uh, from uh, the fallout of the match uh, that happened. And it certainly looks like they're going to sort of kind of feud with Rebel Enemy that and, and maybe Saki to an extent. Uh, so that will leave you with uh, kind of a uh, colors and rebel enemy against extinguish kind of vibe to it. And uh, I'm all for that. You know, let's make these kind of freelance groups uh, feud against someone and extinguish having as many members can carry show to show uh, feuding with these these crews that you're bringing in, uh, you know, every three to four months when you run these things. So I do like that move that that gave an element of interest to both shows. So that gets a big thumbs up from me. And again, the 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 talent that they've brought in between, uh, especially Zeta Zhang, I've been a fan of for a while, and the the great development of talent like Mighty Myra and Johnny Robbie are great to see. So then we get to the East show, 
Uh, and I, again, mostly enjoyed uh, the talent here. Uh, well, the Devlin, Macabre, and Brittany Blake match was actively terrible. <laughs> I don't expect much out of that one, but got to see Kelsey Regan, uh, which is a prospect I've been kind of keeping my eye on for, for about a year now. Uh, she was pretty good. Unfortunately, she lost to KZT. Uh, I mentioned Amber Nova defeating Ozaki. Uh, the extinguished duo of Danny Mo and Sumi Sakai had a, uh, a nice little tag match against Ultraviolet and Emi Sakura. So nice seeing Emi Sakura on this card. And then Mio Watanabe defeating Kylan King was sort of shocking to me. 14 minutes. But Kylan King is not a pushed commodity yet in Impact. And she can take some falls. And Mio Watanabe is very over. So is it's a... Uh, it's amusing to me that on these shows, Spark Joshi is uh, protecting TJPW talent stronger than they are. <laughs> but uh, that match was really good. It all built up to the Kylan King getting swung and uh, Mia Watanabe uh, doing the Canadian backbreaker, but not the teardrop uh, as her finisher is just uh, just kind of a weird match structure there. Uh, Mio Mashita wins a okay match against Jesse, Jesse Kamea. Not not the smoothest, to say the least. And then the main event. Uh, vacant, first champion, being crowned Atlantic title, Mayuki against uh, Saki. It's all cap Saki. Went 17 and a half minutes, and I'll put this on the level of a nice little indie Joshi Korokin, right? Uh, had a big match feel to it had a, uh, well, speaking of big match feel, commentary is constantly trying to tell me Zaya Brookside and Ram Kaicha are these, like, big prospects and draws, and uh, telling me that match was a big match feel, and I'm like, guys, let's calm down. Uh, while this match, Maya and Saki, uh, they, they made it feel important. Um, they made it feel good out of the gate. They're in their tip-top gear, um, and they, they worked it like it was a, an important main event. It didn't have shtick to it. They did play a little bit more to the crowd as opposed to what they'd normally do in Japan. I thought they worked harder than, say, whatever the fuck that was I saw on the Sukaban show uh, that we saw via TikTok. Uh, this was better. This was, I would say, between these two shows, that was better than anything I saw off of uh, what they do at Sukaban. And then I'm very curious to see what... Uh, Eric Joshipod is going to bring with Kitsune Pro Wrestling, which, by the way, uh, first ever interview uh, with him is available on the podcast feed, also on the AJW Destiny feed. Uh, we go over kind of um, uh, booking talents, strategies, uh, how he feels about the show, etc., etc. So I, th I thought it was a, I thought it was a good interview. That brought about some different conversations and questions than just kind of plugging the show. Because pl plugging the show co comes naturally. And uh, you can get Kitsune Pro Wrestling on IWTV. Uh, it's not a pay-per-view. It's just available with a, with a nice little sign-up. So I hope everyone uh, goes out and supports that in any way that they can. Uh, I'm looking forward to that show coming up uh, later this week. So back to Saki uh, Mayuki. They did some good things. Uh, I, I did enjoy the ref getting involved uh, to an extent where they were ch just trying to do uh, kind of, turn uh, I guess, sleight of hand type things. And they're really emphasizing the, the no closed fist rule and they're playing into that. Uh, shit, there was a there was a ref bump in the 
um, Venny Hikaroshida match, uh, which seemed unnecessary considering when Venny went for a moonsault, Shida cracks her with a kendo stick, and then later there's a ref bump, and they're using the kendo stick as kind of a tug of war to throw forearms. Uh, didn't take me out of the match. I thought it was a good spot there, and I thought this was I thought this was a good spot too, where they're utilizing the ref to do both some wacky heel tactics, and the crowd was split 50-50 on them, so I like them playing both sides. I thought that was a good good uh, decision for both wrestlers to do. And Saki, you know, not really a huge fan of hers, but she's been growing on me. I mean, hey, shout out LLPW, LLPW Reviews, the LLPW alum, all cap Saki. Uh, she's kind of on a good run right now. You know, come, ever, ever since she got away from Catch the Wave, and she got that uh, August Corkin match that was excellent against Hanukkah Nakamori. Get the full review. And uh, if you want the show, I can hook you up. Just let me know. Uh, full review on the Patreon. Pure J Podcast. JPQ. All Capsaki's on a little roll here with consistency. Her tag matches have been good. Matches like this and the Nakamori match. She's, she's on a good string of matches over the last uh, uh, two and a half months. So she, I'm definitely giving her flowers. She's starting, she's starting to click, and uh, notably, Maya didn't really hit any of her key moves in this match either. She did hit some, hit some good kicks. They didn't delve into a lot of the submissions. Uh, on the West show, Maya kind of debuted a new submission move against Trisha Dora. Didn't really see her try to lock that in here, so I was curious if they were going to play into that. Did not. That was, that was a little, little disappointing. Uh, and there was a lot of those elements missing from this match to make it make it really great. Get get that three out of three recommendation from me. Uh, no Swanton Bomb. Uh, no, none of those things from no no Rising Knee Vault. Uh, that's really cool. Maya just worked worked it well to get uh, Saki seemingly over as Saki hit all her big moves, in, including uh, the delayed Michinoku and the running spinning suplex. Uh, which is cool. And Saki wins, by the way. You would think uh, with all the booking strategies and uh, who is winning when, clearly that hasn't been figured out yet in Spark Spark Joshi here. As Maya won last night, or the previous night, Saki lost, and here we have the opposite results again. Uh, is it keeping us on our feet? Sure, I suppose. But uh, if we're going to come back for shows uh, five and six... Uh, I want to see a little bit more consistency in the booking, uh, especially in the sense, like, let's book more people like Ram Kaicho, <laughs> as in strength, <laughs> uh, strength and protection. Uh, so keep that, keep, I want to keep, I want them to keep that in mind. But, um, yeah, I'm going to be following Spark Joshi from here on out. I'll, I'll find a way to get the, get their pay-per-views by them, just like this time, and uh, continue to cover them on the podcast. Uh, it will not be a Patreon exclusive, unlike uh, Pure J, because, well, Pure J requires, well, I guess they all require money, but I'm using, uh, utilizing Pure J uh, for the sense of keeping up with it um, on a month-to-month basis, while Spark Joshi is kind of every four months or so. Do recommend it. Uh, I, in terms of interest right now, uh, this is high. This is a high priority for me. Uh, between it's it goes uh, stardom. Pure J. I'm putting Spark over TJPW now, because uh, TJPW, the most interesting thing right right now, are their rookies, 
And speaking of that, let's transition. TJPW. Here we go. Okay, uh, so if you're curious, I did go two out of three on Mayuki versus Saki, three out of three on Veni Hikaroshida, and let's quickly just talk about this. Let's talk about these champions now. <laughs> uh, Shida lost, Miyu Yamashita lost the Spark title, uh, So and Saki and Ram are the champions there, but really I want to focus on the reigns of Shida and Mizuki. So yes, Mizuki did lose to Mio Yamashita, which means the only consistent thing in TJPW is Mio Yamashita wins. I guess you could throw Yuka in there too, but she's out. She's out for the time being. She's graduating from TJPW. Okay, so let's talk about these two reigns of Mizuki and Hikaru Shida's uh, wave run, because we saw Hikaru Shida's run in Ice Ribbon with the tag titles, and her gunning in that promotion uh, led to no business, and then Shida led to no business in wave at all. Uh We'll be talking about that with Kyrie as well, but uh, if there's if there's any anything similar between uh, these three champions, is that Mizuki, Shida, and Kyrie have no drawing power in Japan. Mizuki is a product of the booking behind her, and then Shida and Kyrie are a product of out of sight, out of mind, and not as a big a deal as uh, you would think they are. But that's that's the situation. So I gotta I gotta re pull up wave, because um, I want to get uh, Sheeta's uh, defense record here in front of me. Because man, oh man, uh, these certainly did not work out probably uh, the way they intended. And uh, Venny's now on her uh, second run with um, the wave title. So it's not like she was she got this. Uh, people are calling it a huge win. Maybe if it was her first kind of big Joshi title, it would be, but Venny's been in that kind of situation um, a few times already. So Sheeta, uh, she had two defenses of the wave title on AEW, so we'll just kind of scratch those away. Uh, she beat Suzu Suzuki uh, in August of 2022, and that match was pretty good. I did enjoy that. But she would go on in November of 22 for the very overrated Yuki Miyazaki match. I, I did not like that one. She had the comedy match on January 1st, 2023 against Re Risa Sarah in Shinjuku face in the heart of the holiday where they threw luggage at each other. Then at the Corican Hall in March, which drew a putrid 355 people to Corican Hall. Is that right? No way. That's really bad. Hold on. March 12th, Corican Hall. 355. Holy shit. That was against Iger. Uh, putrid. Absolutely. I mean, it is Iger. 
She's, and then now we have this Venny match. And yes, Venny is much better than Iger. I think that's not debatable. But look, Shida went <laughs> seven months without defending this thing. And, and in my eyes, she went nine months because that Iger match was just a nothing. Like, why bother? And that's a fault of Wave. Uh, wave, Wave, like, she does not a draw, and Wave booked it like crap. And that's what they do. Uh, these aren't good numbers that Wave are pulling, and Sheeta did not help to that fact. Uh, so they got to recognize that. This rain was terrible. This this Hikaru Shida Wave rain was awful. Um, and I'm also going to fault AEW, because once December passed, uh, they clearly had no interest in booking that Wave title to any extent. Uh, the Emi Sakura match was was good, but it was on elevation. Uh, the Bunny match was a seven minute match on Rampage. That was at least you know preferable, at least in the time slot. But she has been she has been healthy all year, and AEW and Wave just didn't do anything with this title for essentially the calendar year. So now we flip back to TJPW with this Princess of Princess title with Mizuki. Uh, won it from Yuka back in March at Grand Princess, uh, their biggest show of the year. The right time to do a title change, but too late in terms of Yuka Sakazaki putting over Mizuki and Mizuki winning the title. I said at the time that it was too late. It felt like it was too late. The match underdelivered, and then we proceeded to get a now Calcutta defense at Corkin, which drew. I think this was one of their. Yeah, 620, that's kind of on par. So that didn't draw any significant business. Uh, the May show against Sawyer Wreck, the, the match was, like, okay. That was their big, like, surprise of 774. And, you know, big scary gaijins. You know, that, that was good. Then we go to Summer Sun against Maki Ito, where the build was, like, nothing. Uh, no storytelling involved. Maki Ito cuts promos about finishing the story on Twitter, and she was absent throughout the entire build. A a a waste, right? And now, three months later, after the Ito defense, uh, she loses to Miyu Yamashita at a Wrestle Princess Four that drew a putrid eight sixty eight. It's really bad. This is not a good number. Uh, the venue that they picked. Uh, at this uh, Tama Mirai Messe in in Tokyo, uh, is it is it because they just have no confidence in their roster to draw at this point? Uh, I mean, Tokyo Dome City Hall could be a, a good place for them to do it, but you know it's expensive, I suppose. But pulling eight sixty eight when last year uh, with COVID restrictions they got a thousand seven. Um. You know, it's it's time. It's I've been saying this for a while now. Wrestle Princess Four is their fourth biggest show of the year. People say it's their biggest. They're wrong. That is a misconception because of what happened during the pandemic. It is now established that Grand Princess is their first. Summer Sun is second. Their January fourth show, the Itzion, is their third, and then Wrestle Princess is four late in the year. That's the hierarchy of TJPW shows. That's what we're looking at. And if you don't believe me, look at the attendance figures in the venues that they do. They do big venues for Grand Princess and Summer Sun. They treat 
they they have a history with the January 4th Corkin and they treat it as a big show where they just drew 1111 earlier in the year 1500 at Grand 1200 at Summer Sun and now they're not even cracking 900 at Wrestle Princess that's what TJPW Wrestle and the reality is a Mew Yamashita title win at Wrestle Princess over Mizuki who who was not booked as a strong champion at all uh, she was very much kind of second fiddle all year. That's what it felt. And, you know, the buzz factor coming out of the show says it all. Not a lot of people were talking about it, not that I saw. Now, contrary to that, if you look on Cage Match, you'd think it'd, it'd be like the show of the year contender, which I say, TJPW fans, good on you. You like the show, like what you like, no problem with that. I definitely disagree with a 9.14 rating on the main event. An 8 on the Max, the Impaler versus Rika Tatsumi match. 7.89 on the Princess Tag Title match. Uh, the only one I really closely agree with would be the Miyu Watanabe Yuki Arai tag against Ryu Mizunami and Yuki Aino. That was enjoyable. <laughs> to me, that was kind of the best match on the show. So these ratings, I think, are very much inflated. But hey, it's your ratings. No issue. I just don't think it's indicative of what we actually saw. So Mizuki and Shida have uh, two varying degrees of reigns and how it turned out, but both uh, equally disappointing, uh, in my opinion. So what did what did Russell Princess do exactly? I think they're highlighting their rookies extremely well. I think they're starting to promote people in decent places and. The at least in terms of the undercard, you're starting to see, uh, starting to people people show out. You had Runa Okubu defeating Haru Kazushiro, uh, Moko Miyamoto defeats Juria Nagano. I mean, Juria's not there as a full time. Moka is the person you can at least hitch your wagon to, and Juria you can push her whenever, I guess she wants to commit full time, or she starts to develop more in the ring, even though her appeal is widely higher than a lot of others. On the flip side, we had this uh, trios match that happened prior with Himawari, Kaya Torbami, and Arisa Endo. I would very much prefer Endo higher on the card and getting pushed, but she saved this match from being absolutely terrible because Harukaze was on the other side and it was 12 minutes long. Don't know why it had to be that long, but here we are. And then uh, Riara is a, I think she's a rookie out of Gunbare as well, and she's got a million-dollar look with a negative million-dollar ring skill right now. She is actively terrible. Holy shit. <laughs> but Endu uh, gets the win, and that was enjoyable there. Uh, trio's match with Aja Kong uh, putting Wakana Urihara into the mat. Uh, Toga and Wakana Urihara are kind of the big two prospects I'd personally hitch my wagon to. I think those those are your. Uh, I think if the, the quicker they develop, the the higher on the card that they should be. But remember, this is TJPW. Maybe they'll get pushed in six years. I don't know. We haven't seen new talent get pushed in the last ten years. <laughs> so uh, who knows if that'll ever happen? Uh, Yuki Arai gets the big win over Yuki Aino in the tag featuring Mizunami and Mio Watanabe. Uh, yeah, this was uh, 
excellent booking and utilizing Ryu Mizunami well, finally, rather than her just beating your roster on every big show. Uh, finally, you were able to kind of put her in there, the Nai Takahashi style, with a little passion injection, and really bring some energy to the match. Uh, and uh, this was done well. I like this one. Uh Gun match, just whatever. Why? Uh, Nyla Rose sticks Maki Ito in the mat, a match that went 12 minutes, might as well have been six on AEW Dark. Shout out AEW Dark, rest in peace. Bad. Not Just not very good. Free Wi-Fi win the vacant tag titles over the Tokyo Mates. Mahio Kiryu uh, takes the loss as now Kaukada has a title. Fine, I guess. I mean, a little two and a half star match. If you're really into free Wi-Fi, I guess you'll go higher. And then the double title match, Max the Impaler, NWA TV champion against Rika Tatsumi, international champion. Uh, man, this match went 15 minutes and it was... It was a Rika Tatsumi safe display. Works the knee, plays up Max as the scary monster. Uh, big, strong uh, person, I guess, is a way to put phrase it. Uh, monster? <laughs> big, strong monster? The match was very safe. I, I can't call it great. I guess it's like a three-star special kind of deal. It was enjoyable. did very much enjoy that. Looks, Max is limited. Uh, I thought the way it was put together and Rika getting getting some near falls and flurries of offense and being able to work the knee the way she did. It, look, it was well worked. I got I got no issue with how the match was put together. Was it kind of semi main event on your fourth biggest show of the year type? I'd like to see a little bit more into it, uh, a little bit more in the near fall category, but. Uh, Max wins this off just this bye-bye Lariat, and uh, that ruled. Did enjoy that. Now we have a chance. So, up until this point, all the Outsiders are beating their roster again. This is a this is a occurring theme in TJPW. Max beats Rika. Nyla beats Maki Ito. So Maki Ito continues to just lose on every major show. And uh, the Neo Bishikigun crew defeats your Shoko Nakajima and Suzume team with uh, the outgoing and retiring Saki Akai. So I guess we'll just kind of pray and watch that Yuki Arai Saki Akai match at Korokin uh, in the coming month uh, with close eyes. You know, Watanabe not getting a win, Yuki Arai did, but you know, maybe have Miu in something more relevant. Um, Aja Kong pinning Wakana. Does it have to be her in that position? You can't pin Hyper Masao, but you know, unless they're unless they're building up to something where Wakana is going to pin Aja Kong, which I doubt they're going to do that, but you get the idea. Your main people are kind of not winning on these shows, and then we get to the main event. Mizuki loses to Miyamashita. I didn't think this was as good as their title match from Jan Four. Uh, I guess that would be 2022. I guess that's when that occurred. Uh, look, Miu was not on her A game. She was missing kicks left and right. The Crash Rabbit Heat at the end missed by a mile. It's like her worst move. <laughs> worst looking move, even though it's a cool name and a cool delivery that she constantly misses. and Or at least the camera picks the wrong spot every time, which is very possible. 
there's just a lot of awkward moments uh, saved by varying degrees of Mizuki fighting back. But much like in that spark match where Miyu Yamashita just beat up Billy Starks for 90% of the time, Mizuki got a little bit more, 80-85% against her. <laughs> uh, I mean, there was a couple cutie special near falls. She does hit a whirling candy. We'll pop there. But in terms of how the match was structured and put together, it did not leave me with any drama towards a Mizuki comeback and overcoming these, I guess, insurmountable odds against her. And now we got a and and now we got a scenario where we have two years in a row that the Princess Cup winner, in terms of Yuka and Miyu, have repeated in their we're the top dogs of this promotion. We won the tur- we won all the tournaments, and now won the title. Uh, what does that mean for Miyu Yamashita's future? Well, she's booked for MLW, I guess, <laughs> coming up. Guess we'll find out what that means. Uh, what does this mean for Mizuki going forward? I, you know, it really, I'm really getting the feeling uh, she's going to go into Rika Tatsumi territory where she's just going to flounder for the next year, maybe give her a little international run, maybe a tag title run again, just kind of spin her wheels. Uh, I can't say that I'm shocked about it. But is anyone, is anyone jumping for joy for a Miyu Yamashita run? I, at this point in time, I mean, unless unless she's putting over, I don't know, Wakana in a year, <laughs> just throwing something out there. Like, I don't know what scenario would have to play out where whoever beats Miyu Yamashita at this point gets put over as some major star. It it seems like a lost cause with how this has been booked and the feeling. But who I I could be wrong. They could easily uh, try this, but. I'm really getting those Tsukasa Fujimoto ice ribbon vibes where uh, if you look at Tsukasa Fujimoto's numbers when it comes to building up a future star and putting them over, it's like, yes, that's good. That's good. Uh, kayfabe business, right? But when it comes to drawing, it never does all that well because it because you've played this out numerous times at this point and you've missed key opportunities where this would have mattered the most. So if Maki Ito, say, comes in after losing all these matches and all of a sudden she comes back a year from now and beats Miyu Yamashita, I'm not sure it's going to mean as much as when she won the Princess Cup a couple years ago and loses at Wrestle Princess. I, I, I just don't think they're going to draw as well. I don't think it's going to draw that much interest. And it's I think we're looking at another case where Mizuki beats Yuka and it's a mute cause because you just waited too long. Because I think they've missed the, missed the boat. The only way I could see this sort of working is if someone like a Ryu Mizunami or Nyla Rose even beats Miyu Yamashita for this title and they can put someone over. I think that would draw a little bit more interest uh, in the in the wagon of TJPW. So, disagree with how big the main event is. Uh, I went three and a half, three and three quarters, around there, two out of three wreck. No, I went three out of three wreck. I'll go full three out of three, but the as as in terms of quality, I went I went lower than uh, a four and a half that I'm seeing a lot of people have. Definitely not that high. Definitely not that high. Okay, we got a lot of stardom to talk about. Shit, where to begin? Uh, I guess I'll play some drop. Um, let's do it. 
plan another. All right, everybody, Suzu Suzuki and Micah, your five-star finalists. Let's get all these attendances out of the way before I go into uh, the Grand Prix Final uh, and Nagoya Golden Fight. Um, Well, you know what? I don't believe I mentioned New Blood on the last episode. So let me get, uh, so New Blood, uh, 357 at Inner City Hall. Uh, If we look at uh, past New Blood shows, uh, it's it's right in the lines, uh, along the lines of what they've been doing. 361 last time, uh, better than the 303 back in June, uh, better than 307 back in January. They got 407 in May, a little bit better. So this is kind of where New Blood is at. It's a it's a it's it's a, it's a definitely uh, on the it's on it's on it's very steady. It's around that kind of rank four indie Joshi promotion, and with. Uh, with the various uh, tag titles that they're doing, um, I, I I rather enjoy these shows as developmental. Uh, Hanan and Saito win against Starlight Kid and um, Karma Haruko Umasaki in a three-way with Azumi and Miyu Amasaki as the other teams. Fifteen minutes. Yeah, this was okay. You know, I I enjoyed that. I love I love the uh, Rina Azusa Naba Future Stardom title match before then. We had your uh, main roster people beating up on uh, May Sarah and Yuna Mizumori, doing their little injection matches, if you will. Uh, Ruak and Lady C had a match. Hina defeats Hanako and Kizuna Tanaka, so it's nice to see her on the new blood card. These are these are simple to watch. Uh, there's not much to dive into there, um, other than it's nice to see that. Uh, but in terms of what we're seeing for attendance here. The five five star final drew phenomenal, uh, a a sold out, essential Yokohama Budokan in uh, Yokohama there twenty five hundred, in which then the next night uh, the Crush Gals not wrestling but Crush Gals none, nonetheless uh, drew interest of being the Crush Gals in getting uh, supposedly uh, <laughs> an even bigger sellout the next night. Um, it did look full, but it wouldn't shock me if they drew two thousand and then just kind of took away back seats. Uh, just to stay in tradition of inflating numbers, but that's my own personal fun speculation there. Uh, the ears perk up when you when you get twenty six hundred flat, you know. <laughs> and you're like, hold on. <laughs> um, if we're comparing, <clears throat> yeah, if we're comparing uh, year over year for uh, the five star final, so let's look at this. I got them in front of me here. Stardom pay-per-views. So yeah, 2507 this year. Last year was... Uh, now, it was in a slightly bigger arena, I believe. 2543. So I think they're both very successful numbers there. And then if you go back to 2021, the five-star final at Oda got 1500. So we're, we're in this consistent now year-over-year year of 2500. Um, I'd like to see them really shoot for some 3,000 numbers. You know, 2,500 is great. I'm not taking that away. I'd like to see some of these, uh, I guess, low, we'll call them lower tier for the sake of ranking them. 
you know, not the five star final, not uh, uh, all star Grand Queendom, um, not Dream Queendom. I want those shows to get over two, two thousand. We need that. While these shows, I want to see trying like twenty five hundred is great. Can't take that away. I want to see them trying to get over three thousand. I'll, I'll go into those kinds of numbers actually on the AJW section because that's relevant to what I'll be talking about over there. Um, in terms of what AJW is drawing to in comparison to modern stardom, so twenty five oh seven basically sold out as far as I can tell. Uh, phenomenal. Uh, it's the I believe it's the new Yokohama Budokan. It's like the new Buntai that was built, or is that what they're doing in March next year? Can't remember. Uh, and then we go to the Nagoya show, Nagoya Golden Fight in Aichi. They got thirteen fifteen, not impressive. Yes, it's in line with what they have done in the past uh, when it comes to Aichi. I mean, shit, they they had the Triangle Derby. Uh, little, I think that was the finals. If I'm not mistaken, that got 1,071. No, the finals was at Yoyogi. So this was just a, a January 8th Nagoya show. 1,071. If I look at... Uh, is there another Aichi Nagoya type show they ran this year? Uh, I'm not seeing it. Last year uh, in Aichi, they got uh, 1,300 for Sp- Supreme Fight. I believe that was the Shuri-Mirai match. Um... Their Aichi Stardom X Stardom thirteen fifty three. So this is just kind of what they do in Aichi and Nagoya is this thirteen hundred and beyond. You know, if we're being honest, I don't think they're really booking these Nagoya shows to really draw more than that. You know, if we look up and down both cards, it's uh, it's unproven challengers. A lot of these shows, uh, not interesting challengers. Uh, on top of that. And I, I know I'm kind of picking on Mirai here, but, you know, yes, it was a lot of confidence to throw her in that in that match, but obviously it came too soon. Otherwise, they would have drew, drew more, I believe. Uh, and Natsuko Tora, main eventing this show, in kayfabe, you're like, okay, this made sense. But in terms of, you know, skill and believability, she, does, she just doesn't have it. Okay? And... Kyrie having her heavily advertised last stardom match and still not doing anything more than the 1300 goes into what I was saying earlier in the in the uh, the wave and TJPW talk that uh, the only thing in common with Sheeta and Kyrie is they don't draw in Japan. So clearly that was a no interest factor uh, between that. I'm sure, people in the building were very happy to see Kyrie and her 20 minute match against Kokoma, but here we are. So let's go back to the five-star final. Uh, listen on the Patreon to the entire five-star Grand Prix uh, review, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do the tag the, <laughs> the tag league uh, on the Patreon. I might do like multiple days in an episode, but you will see content over the tag league uh, over on the Patreon. Uh, that'll be a for fun. Uh, I've, I'm gonna definitely do something different this time around. Um, because Stardom's got some injuries, and that's that's led to some interesting choices and teams and messing about. As I guess half the roster is now in heel mode, while we get to see Hanako and Lady C battle it out as the Twin Towers, the skyscrapers, if you will. Who is Sid Vicious in this scenario? Kind of kind of dealings, but five star Grand Prix. 
anyone who's not in uh, block matches within this uh, Battle Royal, Suzu wins that one. We move on. Hanan defeats Mariah May. Eight minutes. This was okay. Uh, hope Mariah May is back. I pray she uh, doesn't sign with the Fed, but okay. Momo Watanabe defeats Azumi. Eight minutes. This match rocked. I love the uh, the counter of the Canadian Destroyer where she just l- throws Azumi in the air and kicks her in the face. Uh, look, we're getting big match Momo back here. And uh, the Grand Prix has really brought her back. And it's been kind of a talking point and discussion point, at least in the Red Leaf uh, uh, section of the internet and uh, discussion groups that, you know, over the last year, Momo has definitely uh, taken a back seat in this heel role. Uh, she hasn't been featured to be in strong matches very often. And this just assures us that uh, she can deliver in these spots and why people like her, Micah, uh, Kawa now, Hazuki, uh, these are your kind of linchpins of the upper upper mid card. These are the ones that could break out at any moment. Uh, that you can you can fall onto them when you need to count on your. Uh, you got spots to fill up top, perhaps from various events, especially now with uh, the injuries and people healing up. You know, this is when people like Momo, Micah, Mina, and Hazuki really get to shine and do their best work. When your Julia's and Utami's are, uh, and Mayu's are busy doing other things or healing up, if you will, uh, and that's that's great. Uh, that's that's a sign of a healthy, uh, well booked promotion when you have people like this at a certain degree and level that you can count on. Uh, again, if you want to listen to like the big injury discussion and all all these talking points that's been going around, uh, I go into more of that uh, just before the. Uh, AEW talk uh, later in the show. So Momo wins that, uh, and then we get Sauri Ano uh, upsetting Mina Shirakawa to keep her out of the finals. Um, Sauri Ano, good showing. Good showing from Sauri Ano throughout the tournament, throughout the five-star. She seemed heavily motivated throughout. She was one of, this is the best Sauri Ano I've ever seen. You know, never saw... Anything like this from what I saw in Actress Girls, certainly nothing on the indie scene. Uh, Oz Academy is like a non-conversation. Uh, and when she shows up in other promotions, it's, you know, it's house show mode. And I never got the feeling Sariana was in house show mode on the stardom, uh, on the stardom tour. And I, I hope this isn't the last we've seen of her. She's current tag champion. Uh, with uh, with Natsupoi uh, nursing an injury and healing up. Uh you know, I, I think it's time we'll just kind of be patient. Uh, Tag League obviously couldn't come at a better time, and th- it's a clear, uh, it's a clear indicator that this promotion needs to heal up. And Tag League's a good spot for the undercard or undercard wrestlers to kind of gain a little bit of credibility with each other. And uh, I enjoyed a lot of those undercard uh, tags and matches throughout the Grand Prix tour, and I think that got them. Uh, settled for a good Tag League, at least in terms of what the undercard and midcard can do. Micah defeats Mirai in 11 minutes. Uh, this was the big match to pay attention to. And um, look, people are into Mirai. The fans are into Mirai. There's no doubt. And now with Micah getting this big bull victory because these two trucks just ran into each other, <laughs> causing accidents along the way. Micah's all right sides taped up. Mirai's left sides taped up. I kind of like that. Uh, I think they're working us a little bit, but obviously if they're 
they're sort of banged up. That's okay. But you know, when I when we take a look at now what this wonder title is, uh, with Micah defeating Mirai here, and then uh, on the Nagoya show, Momo was challenging. Uh, so we had Momo Watanabe. Uh, we got uh, Sariano having a victory over Mirai. Mina Shirakawa and Micah now have both victories over Mirai. Uh, these are intriguing matchups. This is a strong uh, upper block for the Wonder title of what we can look forward to in the future. I, ho- just, I just hope it's booked as such to maintain this level of interest. Uh, it needs They need challengers. We need a strong match for uh, Dream Queendom. We need a strong match for uh, what well, what is that? Grand Grand Princess Queendom or All Star Grand Queendom? So we got Dream in December, Grand Queendom, which was announced again, uh, I believe, for March next year, not April. I think that's right. But you know, if they're gonna make some movements, I think now's the time. I think you can get Sariano into a spot uh just before December, if uh if his if her schedule's open. You can do Mina Shirakawa Mirai at the end of the year. You can do Micah for All-Star Grand Queendom. And I, I think, uh, or, hell, Micah at the end of the year. And you can book her against Mirai for the matchup. And um, honestly, any of those people could win, right? And that'd be, that'd be pretty rad. Uh, so the Wonder title, assuming it's booked as such, can be an incredible investment period as a fan. Uh, going forward, and I think there's real interest in getting uh, money and good matches out of that uh, as we look forward. So I do like this Micah over Mirai result, and that puts Micah in the uh, finals against, well, it'll turn out to be Suzu Suzuki based on events that occurred, and this was circled as an obvious uh, upset here. It's Ami Sarei defeating Shuri. Uh, roll up, a lot of roll ups on the show, uh, definitely overdone. Um, if you're a dork like me that notices these things, but you know, for me, that's that's the opinion I have uh, come to con- <laughs> come to say. Uh, Shuri loses, and uh, to me, this also makes sense because Ami Suray challenged Julia for the strong title, uh, whenever that will take place, and uh, Julia's got to go through a number of outside talents, if you will, to get to Ami Suray. And Ami Suray, look, they cut promos on the tour. Julia made fun of her win record. Who has she beat? Well, now she's beaten Shuri, and that kind of gives her a big credibility boost and keeps Shuri out of the finals. And based on the finals that we got, it turned out to be a good decision. Hazuki Natsuko Tora. <laughs> Look, nine minutes. Uh, these Tora spots, it's it's the same structure every match where she hits weak-ass clotheslines because she's small and not strong. Uh, she d- hits a senton. She does some Death Valley driver spots, and then she'll blow the mist in your face. Well, all that happened, and Hazuki uh, hits the Hazuki straw and pins her, and there you go. So, crowd reacted to the finish. Not great. Um, but, as I said on my... Uh, well, actually, no, I didn't say that, because um, my uh, Patreon... Uh, episodes, uh, I had the ratings before the finals. So let me pull up that because now I can share. Well, okay, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Let me finish the show first. Uh, so then it leaves Natsupoi Tam Nakano, uh, Natsupoi 
upsets Tam Nakano 1054. This was uh, pretty good as well. And that leaves us with the five star final. Suzu Suzuki defeats Micah 14 minutes. And here we go. Now we have another sense. So in the in the match earlier, the crowd wanted Mirai to win. Very and this was a theme throughout the night where everyone wanted the under the underdog to win. And crowds are like, like wrestling crowds in general are like that. You want to root for the uh, in the moment. You want to root for the underdog. That's just in kind of human nature, if you will. You go to a soccer game and it's like a third division team against I don't know. Uh, let's say Queens Park Rangers gets to the top and they're facing Liverpool, right? And uh, Liverpool's up three nothing, and then the more QP- let's say there's a scenario where QPR starts scoring against them one goal and then two goal. Every one of those chances going forward, the crowd is just going to be electric for it. Well, I guess let's say it's a neutral venue. <laughs> We're not in Liverpool in this uh, made up scenario here. But if you're watching on TV, like that's what you want. You want to see the underdog overcome these insurmountable odds to who you think is the the better team, the better person, the the, the stronger uh, wrestler in this case. And so Mirai came across like that against Micah because she's been booked so strong across the, and, and which is funny to say, because Mirai is the wonder champion, but that's just kind of the vibes we get from these matches. So then cut to the final here and both these people come out and Micah is immediately the underdog because Suzu Suzuki is, she's the, she's the prodigy. She's the here and now she is the heavily booked person. She's the one in the big Julia storyline. She's, she was the one with the uh, title chance earlier in the year. With uh, with the with the Julia title reign, uh, Suzu Suzuki, former Catch the Wave winner, whatever you want to quantify that as winning. She she lost to Sheeta uh, when she won that little vacant title deal. So we're going about this match, and uh, I think I put this match as just outside my top ten of the entire tournament. Uh, but that's been that's been on par with my opinion over uh, kind of ranking these matches throughout the five star is uh, I'm definitely flippy floppy all over the place compared to kind of the consensus. And I'll get to an example of that. But yeah, the crowd was just immensely behind Micah and um, a little mishap near the end where uh, Daichi kind of restarted his count to make sure it was a one, two, three. And kick out before three, so I, I you know, we, we we get to those points every now and again. Micah got her near falls. Uh, really liked her kicking out of the uh, locomotion German that Suzu does, and for Suzu to come out of the gate and hit a fucking stardust press, uh, came across like a spinal tap. AJ Styles almost with the way she overtorqued. Uh, this is the shit we've been waiting for with Suzu Suzuki. You know, let's get a big boy finisher. Right. And boy, what a what a place to break it out is the five star final. And so Suzu Suzuki winning, I believe, is the absolute right decision. And I'll go back to my Patreon audio here and I'll say it for you guys. I questioned. Before the finals that we're looking at a scenario because of the injuries and because of how this Tam Nakano title run has really gone and it hasn't been. I think a lot, both title reigns this year between Julie and Tam haven't quite gotten as over as they probably should have. And now that uh, All-Star Grand Queendom is their big show of the year in March, and Dream Queendom's kind of number two, 
we're going to put put some you know five star final obviously has its place but you know if we're putting we're putting some rankings together uh i speculated that would it be the worst decision for tam to lose to whoever won this five star final before the big big year end december show and lo and behold that Suzu Suzuki not only challenges her, but she's challenging her in Osaka. And the way they're talking about it, it's like, man, were my vibes right on the money with that. And the way things were playing out in this promotion, and I'm honestly for this as well. Because of everything I just said and mentioned. But also, you're giving Osaka a big time match. And you're changing things up. You know, not every, and and we're not looking at a G1 winner is challenging in New Beginnings. I saw that floating around. I th- This is not the same. You know, if, if this was the same, the five-star would, winner would be challenging for the March show, and then everything else would be cannon fodder leading up to that. That is not this case. What we're establishing here is what was very criticized back in the 90s, where AGW would always give Osaka and all these outside shows, lesser big matches, right? Because Tokyo always got the big ones, right? And there was a cultural divide there between the cities over, uh, I, I would I would say, some jealousy. And, you know, I feel that a little bit with the United States, in which that, like, Chicago and those kinds of places always get the big shows, while, the, while uh, where I live on the East Coast uh, gets kind of shunned, the Boston area. Uh, at least in terms of like pay-per-views and whatnot. You know, it's always Chicago and, you know, anyways. Hell, I had to travel to Toronto to, find, to see a big show. But So Suzu's challenging for Osaka. I love that move. Osaka gets a big-time match and a possible title change. I am not discounting that in the slightest. And that could lead to something very interesting at the year end. Because now that we have a scenario where either person can win... That means the December show is up for freedom of choice, right? And with that freedom of choice, you can book your biggest match that you think you can do. Suzu Suzuki against uh, returning Utami or whomever, or maybe Tam Nakano wins and they can finally uh, do the Saya match, uh, which was a huge success uh, at, at, at past shows between those two. And they and they got something to run back with the story with with Saya getting injured at the uh, opening night of the five star, right? Not to mention Micah now has a big story behind her with losing the final, excuse me, and really struggling to get past like the finish line with all these title matches and now losing the five star final. Uh, she's got a, a very uh, fun and interesting uh story to <laughs> story to come out of here and uh man I, th- let's see uh okay so we got a uh a fun card here um let's see here in the stardom joshi reddit this was just posted as i record this uh i love Kyrie, but she didn't really put anyone over on this current run should have at least put over julia or tam or somebody on her way out and uh yeah, there's a lot of comments, and yeah, I mean, come on, we can't, we can't be. Uh... Who is messaging me? 
Oh my god. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're we're definitely in a scenario here with uh with I'll jump to Kyrie here later, but um that does that was a talking point, but I think it's more simplistic than anything else and uh I'll finish the five star I'm, you know what? I'm kind of done. I'm kind of done with it. Like, Big Dave Meltzer gave it four and three-fourths. I went four and a quarter. I thought it was a phenomenal match. Uh, and as for um, MVPs and top matches of the tournament, uh, my top ten is uh, unfazed from what I said on the Patreon. I have the uh, Suzu Micah match, five-star final at my number 12 spot. Um, I have Micah Mirai at the 16 spot. Uh, when it came to the MVP, um, it ended up coming down to Micah and Hazuki, uh, tied for my MVP. This is based on my zero to three recommendation scale, um, with Micah having a, uh, 2.5 average rating and Hazuki having a, also a 2.5. Um, obviously the, uh, Two big advantages Micah had was uh, a match nine against Mirai and the finals. So that's what kind of put her over the top while uh, Hazuki never had her Sayakamatani match. Uh, so who knows? Maybe Hazuki would have won in the end. Uh, if you're curious, uh, Suzu Suzuki ended up with a two flat, which isn't uh, anything to sneeze at. And uh, that's, that's uh, let's see, I believe Shuri was a lot of people's pick. She had a 2.38. Uh, her her last two matches against um, uh, Ami Saray and Starlight Kid just did not deliver, and that kind of hurt her in the end. Um, looking at the others, uh, Mina Shirakawa ended up with a two four four. I think she was uh, I think she was third in the end. Yeah, so I really liked what Mina brought in the five star this year. Uh, five star Mina. <laughs> I don't take her lightly. So again, look forward to uh, some sort of tag league coverage on the Patreon as we head into that season. Uh, very exciting there. Uh, well, <laughs> I say that, but you get the idea. Okay, so then on to the Nagoya show. Well, actually, I want to talk about this real quick. So uh, there was the big press conference with uh, going over New Japan and Stardom's fiscal year Bushi Roads deal. Uh, stardom is like 10 times over profit margin, uh, which is great to see. I might be overestimating that. I just saw a loose number uh, thrown out there on uh, Twitter with, um, I think it was Karen Peterson that was uh, translating parts that weren't translated via the Stardom uh, Twitter account. Uh, stardom, technically more profitable than New Japan, which I thought was interesting, but they obviously run at a much smaller budget, smaller venues, etc., etc. But that's that just means that their current uh structure is working financially and they're coming out with uh new prospects to make money and one of them which is highly interesting is the uh southeast asia expansion to singapore uh taiwan and oh, i believe the other one was thailand uh which i think is interesting cuz you can you can possibly get some uh new fans obviously uh, it's untapped regions of the world that doesn't have a huge WWE New Japan. Well, New Japan's trying as well. Uh, WWE and AEW influence, unlike the United States and Canada. Uh, it's very hard to break into Mexico. Uh, but with the prospect of CMLL, 
um, coming out. You could have someone like uh, La Andromeda hopefully come in. Stephanie Vacker is making appearances um, on New Japan Strong. So there's definitely there's definitely some interesting uh, movement that's happening there within Stardom and their expansion and uh, possibly some uh, uh, relationships being developed. But I'm curious to see if this if this Southeast Asia expansion efforts uh, lead up into some uh, rookie development or prospects. Maybe they can uh, get someone from there. Uh, just want to also throw out that it's interesting they didn't go to South Korea, but I actually came across on Reddit a very in-depth kind of explanation over why uh, wrestling has kind of died in South Korea, and it's ex- been extremely hard to get back. Uh, I kind of joke about seeing uh, like Mariaka Kobashi, various U.S. indie guys, uh, Makoto being over in South Korea, but um, I could see a scenario where if a Japanese promotion goes to South Korea, that the this the cultural battles as I bang my fists together, uh, just will never go away. So the prospect of a Taiwan, Thailand, and Singapore are more appealing at this at this junction in time, which which is a shame because I think there's I think there's a lot of uh, untapped interest in South Korea for wrestling, but now's not the time, I suppose. Unfortunately, um, culture is culture, you know. So Nagoya Golden Fight. <sighs> Uh, and as I record this, the uh, tag league uh, day one started, and they they got a, some putrid eight hundred number with missing a lot of their stars. But look, they're gonna take they're gonna take they're gonna take a lot of losses on the tours leading up to December, and probably even that November show in Osaka uh, with uh, Suzu Suzuki and Tam. It wouldn't shock me if that show doesn't do well. You know, you got your top stars out with injuries. You're not booking. A card like you're gonna draw two thousand people. You're you're just gonna have to deal with what poor attendances they're gonna get from here on out until uh, Sumo Hall in December. Uh, you can still call a number bad, despite this and that, and it, you know it's always these excuses always seem to come to light. Like when sports teams have injuries, it's like oh well. The Utah Jazz certainly would have gotten out of the first round if X, Y, and Z weren't out injured for X amount of time. It's like, well, yeah, but these are what-if scenarios. They still may not have won anyways. And in terms of stardom, maybe even with all their main stars healthy, they're still drawing poorly because the cards are still uninteresting and uninspiring, and we're not doing a lot of angles. Uh, Maybe now's the time to run a lot of angles and uh, concentrate on storylines with a lot of your main stars out. Maybe this is when you can concentrate on a different booking pattern uh, than what you'd normally do. Make make something of interest. If I can talk about Spark Joshi having interest with this, uh, uh, what is that, extinguish storyline that they're doing with the faction, then surely Stardom can do the same thing. All right, so I talked about attendances. I talked about the Southeast Asia expansion uh, in in bigger injury talk and everything again with AEW. If you want to listen to like Pure J and those kind of things, Patreon, etc. Et okay, Mesera defeats Saki Kashima high speed title match. This was good. Concentrate on kicks. Saki slowed the match down. Thumbs up. Sariano defeats Azumi. Hey, nice little five star match, basically, right? 
maybe this means Sariano is still on the up and up for a wonder title shot. UWF rules match. These can get fucked. I hate these things. Shuri defeats Mina via KO. I guess the only scenario is, does this get the crowd behind Mina? Does she get a lot of sympathy? I don't know. I find these matches boring as shit. I guess the most interesting parts were when they were kind of kicking each other and Shirakawa was trying to work the leg. The build was better than the match. I don't know. If you're into it, one out of three. Uh, Artist of Stardom title match was a five-minute storyline between Julia accidentally clocking Micah and costing, uh, was it? No, Suzu clocking Micah in which Julia pinned her and uh, Micah goes off the rails. So good. Hey, look, a good storytelling element I was just talking about. Mirai defeats Momo Watanabe 15 minutes. This was awesome. Uh, Big match Momo, at least I hope. Because Mirai and Momo brought the A-game here. Mirai was hitting big-time power moves, DVDs. Uh, uh, she was really concentrated on a lariat because, um, no, Mirai's right arm was taped. So then when she went for those lariats, they were less effective until she finally got that big left-armed lariat to put away Momo. And what a sell by Momo getting folded in half, Minami Toyota style. Uh, this was good. Momo hit all of her key finishers except the um, muscular bomb. Uh, she hit her double little, uh, what, what is that, the the Peach Thunder, I guess? No, whatever it's called. Uh, this was great. Full three, uh, no question. I thought it was easily the best match on the show. Kyrie, Mayu, and Nanai against Hazuki, Koguma, and Saeeda. 24 minutes, 25 seconds. Boy, did they milk everything they could out of Kyrie on this. Coming out taking forever. She's coming out as long as The Undertaker. Felt like a gong was going to play off at any moment. Uh, is milking it in, but she was hardly in the match. Ida was hardly in the match. Hazuki had a decent little section with Kyrie. Mayu was kind of absent. This was a 20-minute Kyrie Koguma match, and Koguma eats the elbow from Kyrie. Uh, it was... I'm not really moved by these kinds of matches. I enjoyed it for what it was, but, you know, one out of three, three stars, three and a half, you know, it was, it was okay. Uh, it's just, it's just, okay, now we'll talk about this. Kyrie has been back for, what, 18 months? And the closest we got to a feud was her against Sayakamitani. At least in terms of stardom, right? She was a New Japan talent. There was cl clearly no intention for New Japan to have her lose to stardom, or Kyrie just wasn't going to lose, unless it was to Mercedes Monet. And then there was, like, Mercedes puts over Mayu, and that's where we're at. Uh, Kyrie beats Tam at the Dome in, a, like, a six-minute match. Meant nothing. Uh, goes to that draw against Sai Kamatani. Not even a sniff of a rematch. And Kyrie was in these just tag matches throughout her run. She tagged it up in other promotions. Never ate a fall. Never put anyone over. There was just... Uh, there was clearly, I think, a money issue here with how often they could book her. And with how little they can book her, there was, I guess, only so much you can do. And it's, it's, a, it's a shame. Because I thought there was a lot of legs to what Kyrie could do in this promotion in 2023. All these aspects. And it was just like a lot of 
I guess, quote-unquote, nostalgia running. Like, hell, in this match, she's teaming with Mayu and Nanai, and I'll constantly reiterate this. Are modern modern stardom fans interested in stardom nostalgia? You know, unless Yoko Bito and Yuzuki Aikawa are walking through that door. Like, I can't imagine a scenario where a modern stardom fan that came in during the pandemic and sees, like, Nanai and Kairi teaming up and they're like, oh man, yes, 2014, here we go. I I just don't see it. And now now we're left with a scenario of Reddit posts and various uh, groups having think pieces over why Kairi didn't drop falls. Now we're at a scenario where Nanai Takahashi has dropped more falls than Kairi, and the bar is low. But that's what happens. Fans become disappointed, and myself included, where you have this big quote-unquote star, clearly doesn't draw, comes in, has an immense amount of interesting stories and matches you can do, and the best we got was a 30-minute draw with Saya Kamatani. Bon voyage, Kyrie. Enjoy Nia Jax. Uh, Tam Nakano defeats Natsuko Tora 21 minutes, 34 seconds. I thought this was boring as shit. Did not enjoy this. Uh, I already had low expectations heading into it, and it kind of met that. Uh, not to mention the just botched ending. That was super bad. Uh, look, Natsuko Tora threw her into some chairs, hit some bad lariats. Hit, hit a senton, hit like fucking 50,000 DVDs. Uh, one gnarly one that came off the second rope. I thought Tam's neck was broken. Imagine. <laughs> like, how are these like women walking, taking bumps like that? But I digress. Uh, Tam hit a lot of kicks. Uh, and just like every five-star match, and a lot of these Torah matches that they try to make meaningful, she'll tug on the ref, some random distraction, she'll spit her mist in their face, and she'll go for a senton that she'll inevitably either crush a person or miss by a mile. In this case, she missed by a mile. And uh, Tam Nakano kicks out, counters. She picks her up for a violet screwdriver. And like a sack of dead potatoes, Tora just falls on her. Not able to keep up. And she goes for it a second time and her just knees collapse out, of, out from underneath her. Just... I don't know, cramped out. Tora lands right on her, just buckled knee. Now Tam's nursing a knee injury because of it. Uh, I thought she blew out her, like, ACL. I really did. She took a while to get up. So, yeah, just an uber-long 21-minute match that had no business. uh, Like, kayfabe-wise, I get why it's booked, right? Points-wise, or what have you, Tora was the quote-unquote most dominant person in the five-star. She didn't win. Uh, Leads to a title match here, and... I don't know. Pick someone else. (laughs) Uh, God. If there was ever a faction that needs a shake-up, it's Oedo Tai and at least a change in leadership. That would would make make it interesting, at least a little bit to me. So that's where we stand at stardom. 
we got uh, we got tag league and a build towards uh, the Tam Nakano Suzu Suzuki match. Which keep your eyes on, guys. Let's not discount a a title change there, because you know I do want to leave off with this. You know, Stardom is starting to do some things right when there's think pieces over Stardom's booking uh, being poor and bad by, as far as I can tell, Western fans. Because people were disappointed a superstar in Suzu Suzuki has won the five-star final and is now challenging for the title. <laughs> These were the scenarios that people were doing think pieces on in like 2020 through 2022 over stardom's not for me kind of deal. And now there's Twitter spaces talking about Hatman booking uh, being terrible and probably should trade places with Nanai and just utter nonsense of people lost on what this promotion is. Uh so yeah, um, miss miss uh, misnomers over what the IWGP title was and is, what the strong title is, and you know you'll hear me talk about it on the Patreon that opening night of the Tag League more in depth, and uh, that'll do it for Stardom. Man, uh, long episode here uh, today. Uh, probably go over four hours the way this is going. Um, hopefully I didn't miss anything. Talked about Spark, talked about Wave, talked about TJPW, talked about a lot of stardom. Enjoy AJW. go ajw classics it's episode 99 road to the dome road to big egg wrestle universe there you go we're getting there one more episode to go and i can't even begin to describe uh the thought process of how i'm ever going to cover uh the big egg show I mean, shit, there's an entire podcast dedicated to that show. Uh, any Anything and everything has at least covered that show one time. Uh, varying degrees of depth, varying degrees of what it's all about. And shit, the classics for the next four episodes is covering that show. And I've run it through my mind. Am I only going to cover a couple matches? Am I just going to go over attendances, how much money it made, how long it was, or what I'm really thinking about is, am I going to cover it for one episode, for how long I should go in depth into it, and how I want to, and then utilize the next three episodes to do some very, uh, I think, important historical stuff that wasn't covered in the classics, uh, such as uh, an entire episode dedicated to the Beauty Pair in response to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame season. Uh, how much am I going to uh, concentrate on a couple other 
uh, historical figures of kind of that seven nineteen seventies era. And honestly, I think that's the direction I'm going to take uh, take this once um, once Big Egg is covered for the nice little uh, century mark show of me covering the classics. Because look, this has been a journey, guys. You know, I started this uh, essentially not knowing not knowing enough about AJW or even historical Joshi the way, uh, say, many others are. Um, I have definitely uh, felt like I've developed a lot of context to a lot of this rather than just reading and watching randomly. I mean, hell, there's a lot of people out there that have watched uh, the boom period of the 90s, some top-end matches, and kind of moved on. You know, or maybe have done uh, surface-level research to a little bit of in-depth research to the to the you know early to mid 90s in this particular era and I really wanted to learn and go about this a different way and now that I've reached kind of this this point and peak of time that I you know I feel I feel pretty pretty comfortable with a good historical context and contextual knowledge uh, to be able to you know vote in the Observer Hall of Fame and and know things like the Beauty Pair and Minami Toyota and Bull Nakano's Reign and all of these things. And yes, there are still gaps that I need to fill, such as the fall of Joshi. Uh, and and certainly have a huge uh, gap in knowledge through the uh, early and mid-2000s. But I'm filling these things in. We're all watching and learning and reading uh, together in this sense. And I'm very proud of what what I've been able to do and what I've been able to uh, really record and catalog for anybody who comes across HAW Destiny, Redleaf Retrocast, and the like to get some more, get the same context. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a guy who puts out his opinions, obviously not everybody's going to agree with any, every, anything and everything, <laughs> but hopefully it can, it can at least get you and inspire uh, others to learn and search out these shows, watch these shows, and and see what's happened. Uh, so, if you want more Joshi historical knowledge and context, obviously there's the Joshi 2010s journey, journey out of the dark ages over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash redfleet for retrocast. Uh, I'm into early 1995 of LLPW. No one covers LLPW quite like me, that's for sure. No one ever has, <laughs> to my knowledge. And I'm getting I'm getting to some very interesting times, and uh, LLPW post Big Egg is certainly an interesting time. We'll get to uh, the Kandori fallout uh, clearly on probably the next episode, but in terms of this one, uh, we are on episode ninety nine. It is from Nagoya, October twenty second, nineteen ninety four. Uh, in the kind of heart of Tag League here, you'd never guess <laughs> based on what's happened. But look, 1994 certainly has not been about uh, any sort of these tournaments that has that AJW has done for many, many years now. It was, I mean, the, the full-on punt uh, tactic that was the Grand Prix of 1994 uh, sure, certainly seemed like a waste of time. And Tag League just so happens to feel like an uh, a in-name-only situation of it's that time of year, we run this thing, that's it. And uh, we certainly have seen uh, a similar circumstance 
at least in the aspect of of what matters at the time in stardom with Rossi Ogawa and how he's managed a very whacked out schedule in 2023 with the punt of the Cinderella and certainly looks like a punt of the tag league. But, you know, maybe that's in that that's by design because of what the promotions felt of how they're going to run, how much they're going to run. What uh, what the entity of Bushi Road requires or wants or simply what schedule they want to do in order to hit all these different prefectures and provinces, if you will, states, whatever you want to call these sections of countries uh, from wherever you're from. Uh, AJW isn't too far off from kind of these these uh, scheduling tactics and whatnot with what the Big Egg Joshi Show is, is going to do. Uh, the Tokyo Dome is a, is a major mark on history for women's wrestling and AJW in particular, and it's it's certainly affecting other promotions, FMW, LLPW, JWP, and the like, where their Michinoku Pro gets involved, a men's promotion. Uh, th- there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of context that we all need to know. Uh, but here we are in Nagoya. A uh, claimed attendance of capacity, uh, not a sellout, but capacity, uh, 4,120. And I kind of want to put this in a little perspective, okay? So I'm going to pull up my annual Joshi Stats uh, uh, form here that I've uh, kept up with over the last number of years. And particularly, I want to point to uh, some stardom shows as we begin to kind of compare... Uh, as we'll talk about as the years go on, uh, what are we quantifying uh, stardom compared to AJW? Modern era versus, well, the golden age, if you will. We have the 70s, 80s, and now the 90s, right? Uh, very different times where the 70s was very beauty pair ridden, the 80s was very crush gals ridden, and the 90s, we'll call it work rate ridden. How about that? While stardom uh, really got their beginning of their, we'll, we'll put it in very loose quotes, boom, uh, during a, a global pandemic. But in, in terms of what we're seeing here, Stardom's run uh, 2022 with the post-COVID restrictions not quite released and 2023 have. If we look at their uh, big Nagoya shows, you know, they're not putting 4,000 seats or even 3,000 seats in these things, right? We're, we're, we're talking strictly outside Tokyo, okay? So a little context here. Uh, Stardom's been trying to get Nagoya uh, for, for many years now as, as a, another place to draw, okay? And in terms of AJW, whether you want to believe the 4,000 number or not, uh, you know, let's, let's go with a 3,000 number. How about that? You know, inflation, minus inflation, guesstimate inflation, okay? So AJW's hot. Stardom is, we'll say, getting hot, certainly in the context of modern Joshi, right? But in 2022, uh, Midsummer Champions, Nagoya, uh, 1,064, okay? Not quite uh, a 3,000 number, right? And then if we cut to 2023... Uh, I don't think they've even ran a big uh, Nagoya show uh, when it comes to mind. They've ran Osaka, which is a uh, totally different animal, I would say. 
but um, we do have no. We got Aichi. Yeah, we got we got a uh, Aichi. Um, when it comes to 2023, I believe they ran Aichi in 2022 as well. Let's see. Yeah, they got 1353 for Stardom X Stardom, and then for the Triangle Derby, uh, 1071. And then a uh, most recent show in Aichi, uh, Nagoya Golden Fight, uh, 1315. So none of these things are impressive numbers. It is on par with stardom in this modern era, but they got a long ways to go outside of that, you know, Cork and Hall, uh, Oda City sense, if you will. I know there are different parts of the city. Hell, I'll even throw in Yoyogi in there, okay? Yokohama's a big uh, Joshi historical uh, venues. So this puts in context the difference in how hot and popular these two promotions are and what our sort of expectations should be. And I I really think a 3,000-esque number is kind of what I've been talking about as a a bullet point for for a, a... good amount of success, right? And I really think AJW in 90, 93, 94, even point to 95 as we'll as we'll get to, that 3000 number is is a good uh I I think a good marker of success uh for women's wrestling. Uh cuz it's really never been quite to that extent. Uh yes, you can kind of point to the 10,000 plus numbers, but wrestling kind of has a hard time getting to those numbers in general. Uh, that's when you're really in a hardcore boom period, right? Uh, we're seeing that with WWE in this era currently where they're selling out television shows and 10,000 plus numbers. Uh, AEW pay-per-views get to the 10,000 plus numbers. Uh, WCW in in, uh, in the 90s and WWF uh, for their television shows, we're clipping at the 10,000 mark uh, quite often, okay? When it comes to AJW, when it comes to their major shows, they're they're getting to that point every now and again. Uh, I'd, I'm more of the mind that if you can pull a clip of 5,000 plus for women's wrestling, because I honestly do believe women's wrestling is much harder to draw on in the historical sense, the gender sense, uh, women's sports in general, um, it needs... To, there is an increase in want, uh, but there's always going to be a tougher factor to consider. So, wanted to begin with that. I know that may not be what you're looking to hear when it comes to an AJW podcast or historical context, but modern context, I believe, uh, does warrant some context as well in what we're what we're looking for. Because as we go forward. There's going to be comparisons to the past, right? In what was popular, what used to be popular, what used to be hot, okay? So on this Nagoya show, we are with a main event of an IWA All-Pacific title match with Minami Toyota and Takako Inoue, hence the music played at the start. And then we got a bustling uh, undercard, some singles matches, but can't help but notice uh, the, the tag league is not the emphasis, uh, on this. So why is that relevant? And why did I bring up Stardom? Well, Stardom's running Tag League as we speak, as I record this, and they put a piss poor number out there. And maybe, just maybe, if you want to draw 
some attendance, draw some interest. Because to me, why? And that's been going around a lot lately in the in the sphere of professional wrestling. Is why do wrestling fans care about attendance? Why do sports fans care about attendance at all? Just watch the games. They say watch the matches. Well, to me, it's a it's a very interesting indicator on what's popular with the fans. Why didn't the fans want to go? And then when you look at the card, well, it's like, well, shit, of course. If the fans aren't going, if the, the attendance is in half year over year or doubled, I think it's important to look at that and say, okay, well, this is what's on the, on the, on the paper in front of you. That's why, right? So clearly to me, as we lead up to Big Egg, the promotion's hot. We're in Aichi here, Nagoya. Very comparable city <laughs> as we look to 30-plus years later kind of deal. And we have an Aja Kong Yamada semi-main event. Aja Kong's the champion. If you want to kayfabe yourself into believing that it's a title match, go for it. So it's an interesting singles match. We have Reggie Bennett on the card in a singles match against Kyoko Inoue. That could raise some interest, right? In the main event, we have a big-time title match with a rising star of Manami Toyota who's just come across uh, a Grand Prix quote-unquote win with the right to go to the tournament at Big Egg. So if you want to contextualize this in the 90s, this is an interesting card. And I could totally see why when the promotion's very attractive right now in the 90s and we're heading to one of the biggest women's shows of all time, the biggest, then, yeah, this is a show I'd, I I would see myself going to if I was a fan at the time. Well, on the flip side, we look to some of these modern era cards and, you know, are you really trying to get the 3,000 number? I got the sense on this card, AJW was really trying to get that 3,000 plus number. And their capacity selling, 4,120 believe that number or a lot or not i think it's definitely inflated but you know it's still a good number and that's what the sh that's where we came to get the show so this is all japan women destiny ajw classics if you're listening on red lane podcast thank you let's get into this card so this is important <clears throat> and i usually don't do this but we have a rookie match to start off now i'm not going to focus on, obviously, all the drop kicks and botched moves and all that. But it is important to notice the names. Okay, we got Kumiko, Kumiko Meikawa, so Big May, <laughs> as some fans will call. Misei Watanabe, Miss Genki, right? Yoko Takahashi, not to be confused with Nanai Takahashi. Uh, she's, uh, she's coming close, guys. She's, she's debuting any day now on the classics. Teaming with Nobue Endo, okay? We got four new, well, I just mentioned a fifth new name coming on the up and up. We, hell, we even have Ritamata uh, in the undercard with Asari, okay? We'll get to that match in a second, but. So, besides the fact that uh, uh, Misai Watanabe and uh, Kumiko Meikawa uh, defeat the very not-as-good team of Endo and Takahashi, the important factor coming out of this is, yes, we have a rookie influx coming. Why does that matter? Well, throughout late 93, throughout 1994 here, 
this AJW roster has seen a couple uh, injuries, very bad injuries that have taken talent out to early retirement. Bat Yoshinaga comes to mind. We just had the return of uh, the Tarantula one, (laughs) if you will. And unfortunately, if you know your history and you've looked into this in the future, the future early retirement of Saki Asagawa. Now, that's not coming for a little bit of time, but the influx of rookies and young talent is going to matter because as we turn the corner post-Big Egg, uh, we've seen throughout 93-94 the continuation of this interpromotional quote-unquote warfare interpromotional matches, and that's why this is dubbed kind of the interpromotional era of this boom period, right? Multiple Joshi promotions coming together to put on matches. Hell, uh, just last year, we saw LLPW and JWP have their biggest shows of the year mixed in with AJW talent, okay? Well, the AJW roster has, has been run ragged, and it's a small roster. Don't get me wrong. This is a small roster. It's not as big as people tend to remember it as, right? You know, Stardom has, you know, X, what, 40 wrestlers under contract right now? And that's that's a good, decent amount, right? And that's even in the, in the news right now, at least with discussions of how injured the Stardom roster is. And, you know, there's four, five, six people out. Okay. Still got 30 wrestlers under contract, basically. They can fill out. Co- I'm not worried about that. What's more noticeable is this AJW roster and what we've seen in 94. It's a lot of repeat cards. It's a lot of repeat matches. It's a lot of the same talent facing each other over and over again. There's a reason why Reggie Bennett's been brought in. You know, there's a reason why they're still bringing in uh, a lot of talent from other promotions to kind of fill these cards out because they need to, right? It's a need, not a want. When I look at stardom in the sense, kind of pulling similar tactics, it seems like more of a want than a need. And the want is to, well, get other wrestlers some time off kind of deal. And you still highlight your stars because AJW here is still highlighting a lot of Aja Kong, a lot of Minami Toyota, a lot of Kyoko Inoue at this time. Even Yumika Hota is getting some shine in 94 because we do have... Bull Nakano calling it calling it a day, if you will. Uh, Akira Hokuto is calling it a day, if you will. They're two biggest stars at this time. So they need to kind of get new talent on the up and up and fill out these things in different ways. So AJW's a need. I really get the feeling stardom's more of a want, right? Because lessons learned from history, if you will. So here we go. The influx of rookie talent will play a big factor as we head into 1995. Uh, so keep that in mind. I have uh, discussed discussed a good chunk of that on the LOPW reviews as I'm already in early 1995 there. And, you know, we'll come up quick with these AJW reviews to pass that up. So the second match is Ritamata defeating Chaprita Sari. Uh, not a whole lot of high flying from Osari in this one. It was very much more grounded, more simplistic. Uh, nice little undercard match. Ritamata gets the win via a backslide. Not the best executed, but backslide win nonetheless. 
And uh, I've already spoken about the rookie injection, so no need to uh, continue that here. Uh, the classics go straight to Kyoko Wenoue, Reggie Bennett. I did seek out uh, some of the other undercard stuff, and not much to say there other than LCO defeated Tomoko Watanabe and Yubika Hota. This match was fine. And then Mariko Yoshida, the Tarantula one, and Saki Asagawa. That's an interesting team. Uh, kind of harping back to uh, before the pre-Yoshida neck injury. They defeat the very underwhelming team of Kari Ito and Suzuka Minami. 17 minutes. I thought this was pretty boring for the most part. If you go to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, uh, one big Dave Meltzer gave it three and three-fourths. And to me, that's a, a product of how much women's wrestling is getting around. Uh, he's clearly covering it and watching it more. He's getting those tapes. Uh, how does this compare to the modern era? You know, I think a lot of the modern era tags are better than matches like this. So, different grading scale, if you will. Now we get to the Kyoko Inouye Reggie Bennett, which was covered on the classics. It went 10 minutes, 38 seconds. And uh, I thought this was a very acceptable, like, two and a half, three-star match, but solid and simple enough. I had no issue with this, right? This is a sense where it's like you watch the show, you're enjoying the show. If you went to the show, you're like, yeah, I'm... it was a satisfying match. And it didn't need to do anything other than what they did to get over it. I think they still put in a good amount of effort. It's a weird thing to say, but sometimes I don't need the four star plus matches on a show in like Nagoya when you can have a big ass pay-per-view next month. And look, big eggs around the corner. And we got bigger matches to fry on the upper card. Okay? So Bennett looks strong. Kyoko's over. That much is clear. I could do without Kyoko in a way trying submission moves on bigger opponents. I don't know why she just insists on doing that in all her matches. She's, I guess the idea is if she manages to pull it off once, she'll get a big reaction. And she kind of put Reggie Bennett in a surfboard, but didn't get her up, couldn't. And the crowd sort of reacted well enough. Uh, you know. She's still trying these things, but like the finish, uh, Reggie Bennett's going for a big power bomb. Kyoko does a sunset roll out of it, and she ends up pinning her. So, in terms of the classics, we got two roll-up victories in a row. In terms of the show, that did not happen, but enjoyed the Kyoko simple fist pump. She's like, yeah, I got the victory, brother. Yeah, and, uh, you know, not a big flamboyant in-your-face kind of win, but it is someone who cares that she got the win. You know what I mean? And, and she wasn't, like, totally destroyed. And it didn't come across as a fluke victory. It was just simply, we got the job done, and I got the win. I like that. And we move on to Aja Kong, who is... She's getting over much strongly. Or stronger, I should say, Aja Kong. Uh, it's very noticeable now, at this point in time. And definitely get the feeling that uh, Aja Kong is uh, now finally kind of reaching a peak that she really wasn't at uh, over the last like year and a half, even though that she's been champion for a good chunk of time. And the story was told with the Bull Nakano kind of putting her over and getting her into the next generation. Aja Kong never felt like the star. Not until kind of about now, if you know what I mean. As she's finally getting a focus because I've said this in the past. You know, during all those interpromotional things, it was more about Akira Hokuto and Bull Nakano. Aja Kong was, you know, third from the third from the top, defending the title or not. 
It was more about Aja Kong in the big bowl matches, if you will. Her against Kansai, her against Hota, her against Eagle Sawai, and they never delivered to the extent. And honestly, <laughs> they none of those wrestlers were really at their peak yet, and they're not pulling off peaks peak performances, right? We're not at they weren't the big matches. The big matches were whatever Akira Hokuto was doing. And now that we have Aja Kong, look, she's still second from the top on this show. She's not defending the red belt. Nami Toyota is. Throwing that out there, but she's against Yoshio, uh, T- Yoshio, Toshio Yamada. And this match was built well. Aja Kong built, came out with the trash can, pumps that thing in the corner. It, yeah, it came into some play, but it was more about Aja Kong and Toshio Yamada having a well, sh- good strike match. And Kong beat this woman's ass for a good chunk of time, and it built up well to a Yamada comeback. Yamada, as soon as Yamada came off the ropes and hit the big flipping insiguri thing that she does, uh, seemingly kind of a la Will Ospreay-esque. wonder if anyone's asked uh, Will Ospreay if he came up with uh, his little flip kick you know, watching an old Toshio Yamada clip. Maybe not, but worth an ask. Maybe I'll DM him. I doubt it'll respond. But... Yeah, it all built up to that. Yamada got some offense off, and then uh, as she was going for her big gory bomb and everything, uh, wasn't able to get it off at all. Kong kind of slips out, counters, and as Yamada's coming off the ropes for a big kick of her own, Kong catches her with a big urken and uh, pins this woman. So this was this was real good. This was real good. I'm not quite at the four stars level, but you know, three and a half, three and three quarters. I'm kind of around there. So good match, and it's it's keeping Aja very strong, and I think this is where Yamada is. I, I I and I can't disagree with the positioning. You know, yes, she could probably still have a good like tag title run and those kinds of things, but LCO is definitely the focus for that area currently now. Uh, could Yamada kind of fill out some space there? Maybe there's an all Pacific run in her, maybe, but you know, you can kind of pick who is going to be at the top and who's not at this time and I kind of agree with what I've seen and performances and just Yamada's been passed by I think uh, I think Yamada is slipping into that Suzuka Minami type territory and, and sometimes that's okay uh, could they tell more stories with Yamada especially with the Minami Toyota rivalry could they build off this for Yamada to have some big feud with Aja Kong sure could there be something with Hota even also sure there's always a chance. There's always there's always an opportunity. But in its current standing, I kind of agree with a lot of the the uh, hierarchy booking, if you will, uh, with AJW at this point in time. And we get to our main event: Minami Toyota to Kakao in a way for the IWA and All Pacific title. And I love this kind of double title run of kind of the mid card titles, if you will, the secondary title. The not the not red belt title. Uh, this is good, and it got me thinking along the lines of uh, stardom, and it's and it's quite a lot of you know single belts in that promotion right now, and a lot of that has to do with New Japan with the IWGP and strong title. Now you got the red and white belt there, and I'm like, would it be the worst idea to have? You know, after all this New Japan stuff is kind of come and gone, 
would it be the worst idea to have the white belt and IWGP belt be just kind of defended with one person? And would that give it more value? Because they're already kind of ruining some optics there with certain titles going above the white belt. And I think I think just having something like a Mirai Mayu match might have some merit to it, right? And then you just have the one champion. And that's what this Minami Toyota uh, situation reminds me of. And I'm not opposed to it. But as for the match itself, uh, but yeah, I do agree with this whole double title thing. Because if you, if you can't concentrate on two, just concentrate on one and it does make it a little better. So uh, the buildup, I thought, over the last few months with Takako Inoue and how she's been able to get herself over, how she's improved in the ring in 1994. And she's been kind of one of those projects as well with LCO, clearly, in my mind. Uh, this was a big match for her and a big match to show out. And she did. I thought she absolutely delivered. She looks great. She's got the new gear. Uh, this was a culmination of a lot of her strides that she's made. And this was a big-time match. It felt big to me. It felt it felt great. As the match went on, we had some good energy, good heat to it. Manami Toyota's flipping and flying all over the place. And Takako's just here to throw knees and throw, throw shin kicks, right? Uh, this was... A phenomenal display of improvements and just high octane, just wall to wall action. It is very enjoyable. We're not we're not we're not locking in holds for minutes and minutes on end just to not sell it and run around the ring. We're just trying to beat each other into the mat and have a good match. They delivered. Uh, if you go to cage match, uh, this match has an eight point three one. Uh, currently off a uh, small amount of votes, only 12, but I think that's a good spot for it. Uh, Wrestling Observer went four and and a quarter in the match, and I gotta agree, I'm right there with I'm right there with all of this, right? If I could get give a match 8.3, I would, because <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. I'm right at that 4.25 star range. Uh, it had, I mean, there was uh, shit. The match begins with Manami Toyota going to the top rope uh, or jumping to the top rope with the no hands and f going back for a uh, springboard plancha and Takako just moves out of the way via Samoa Joe-esque and crowd pops for that. Uh, later in the match, Minami Toyota is doing uh, moonsaults and missing Takako's flying off the top with the, with the Norio Tateno knee missing that everyone's like just missing their big moves. And what happens is the other person will capitalize on the top rope miss or big move miss and then hit like a big German. In Toyota's case, after NOA misses the flying knee, she just grabs her for a straight jacket uh, German suplex deal, you know, for big near falls. And that's how a lot of this match was built. Uh, and then when Toyota was kind of on the defensive and trying for a big comeback, there's a moment where she just torpedoes through the rope and just crashes into the guardrail as Takako does her best to try to catch her. And you see uh, some other rookie on the outside playing a playing like a pancake to try to catch Toyota so she doesn't go into the guardrail head first. Uh, that was a big match turnaround moment there. Uh, more near falls off of uh, very varying degrees of suplexes, cutie specials and the like, uh, big knee drops. Uh, and uh, Toyota off of one of those misses hits the big J O C S uh, for the win. Uh, there was a great near fall for Takako when Toyota was going up for a moonsault. And uh, Takako hits her uh, over-the-shoulder backdrop, which 
just looks like it's going to decapitate decapitate Toyota because the way she just folds in half on some of these moves. I mean, there was multiple instances where Toyota takes some sort of drop and she's folded in half and she's doing it herself. You can tell. And she's just this rubber band out there. Uh, very much kind of Mayu Itani with if your neck's made of rubber, how can it break situation? <laughs> it just bends. So yeah, JOCS ends this. It's a uh, it's it's definitely one of my f- more favorite matches of 1994 that I've seen. Yeah, there's varying degrees of of, of uh, tags that you can point to. The hand match of Hota and Kong definitely sticks out. Uh, this is a a a moment where the match sticks out to me. This was this was great. Very much uh, is a high recommendation for me. Toyota retains the IWA All Pacific Title. She looks great with the purple and white belt. Uh, enjoyable match, and we're on the road to Big Egg. Our next stop is the Big Egg Wrestle Universe show. Uh, the Big Egg, uh, yeah, Big Egg Joshi. Here we are. We got the official announcement of the card. Uh, FMW and LLPW have done maneuvers to get various people on there. JWP was much more stable uh, as they put people on the card. And uh, look forward to however I'm going to decide to cover Big Egg in the next episode. But this was Classics 99. Hope you enjoyed. See you next time. There we go. Naito Sonata in the Tokyo Dome is a thing. But first, Ricky, how you doing? I'm here. It's Friday. It's Friday. It. A little Friday night. I am not bowling, so my body gets the rest. Haven't been doing so good uh, the last, uh, ooh, I would say three out of the last uh, three and a half weeks. I know that's a weird time frame, but I've only really had one okay. real good night. And oh my God, it was real good. <laughs> but uh, the was that others- the night you rolled 13... 13- 13 strikes in a row, but they uh, were in two different games. They didn't was, have a perfect it was, game. <laughs> it was <laughs> 21 <laughs> in a row, but it was across oh the two games. And I'm like, no 300. Awesome. Anyways, oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. So there's some uh, there's some topics I think we should get to before we go into New Japan, even though you just heard Naito's music. Uh, one is Beyond Wrestling is sort of kind of starting this weird offshoot Joshi type promotion thing specifically to highlight the fly-ins that are coming into the country all the time. So Ooh. in a few weeks, Shoko Nakajima of TJPW is going to be facing Venny in the main event. And I'm really thinking about going. What are they calling that promotion? You know, uh, you know what? Hold on. <laughs> what are I'm they looking? I'm looking, I'm looking at the rest of all lineup i'm assuming they'll have a show that weekend well it's like brand new is it Uh, expect the unexpected wrestling yes that is it that's the one yeah it's uh some they got a lot of uh you know ichiban and those types of guys are there but Oh, it doesn't look like it's a show for me, but the main event certainly is. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I'm like, ah, Um, it might be worth going. It's on a Saturday. And I I think we'll circle back to Vaney when we get to AW too. Ah, well, okay. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Also, wanted to ask this question because it's been going around at least uh, the podcast circle, listeners of the podcast, and it's a hot topic in... 
well, women's wrestling and AEW currently. So I wanted to spring this up. Okay. What is your opinion over wrestling schedules related to injury rate? Because I don't know if As you've noticed, what? there's a lot of injuries in AEW right now, clearly affecting at least one title. Or two yeah. titles, actually. Two entire programs. And in Stardom and much of the Joshi sh- scene coming off of the five-star Grand Prix, uh, a good chunk of the roster is out with some sort of ailment that they need to heal up. Mm. Well, it the more you wrestle, the less likely you are to get injured. Um, it sounds counterintuitive, but as long as, like, it's one thing to, I mean, I don't know this, I've never taken a bump, but this is kind of what I've read and I've heard, is that it's it's one thing to be it and be healthy and be in shape. Being in ring shape is very different. So, from what I understand, wrestlers should be working multiple times a week in order to stave injury. Yeah, you always hear about when wrestlers are first getting back in the ring and they get bruises from just running the ropes kind of deal because their body's not used to it anymore. Uh, The Young Bucks are on record saying a low-end schedule, barely wrestling once a week, uh, isn't enough. The bumps hurt twice as hard, that kind of thing. But on the flip side, Stardom runs uh, a hell of a lot with the amount of roster that they have. And it could just be attributed to a simple wear and tear thing like all sports go to. Uh, Mm. Clearly, there's a line on both sides that there's a middle ground to meet. But who knows what that actually is? Uh, It's just a lot. It's just a constant. You know, I I made a post on Twitter uh, like Mm. a week or so ago about like, look, when a soccer team uh, makes the Champions League or the Europa League and they have these cup games. Clearly, right. a player isn't able to play in every single one of those games because naturally wear and tear is going to happen uh, as as a result. So you, you have to kind of balance the schedule accordingly. But clearly, you want your best player in in the most important things as often as you can. Mm-hmm. So I'm of the opinion, as someone who's played sports his whole life and is still playing a sport competitively and now learning another one to be competitive... <laughs> As weird mm-hmm. as that sounds, as I know they're not the most taxing ones, but you get the like, I can't play a couple yeah. sports anymore because I've gotten older and wear and tear on my body, you know, since I've been a child. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I'm of the mind that these things happen in sports, the style changes, and I don't see it as this like huge red flag issue simply because I speak from experience and I understand how the sports world works. And that's how I look at wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're um, you've look- taken up this this activity, this sport. You know the repercussions of it. That's what you are mm-hmm. putting your your body through. Uh, yeah. You, you know, you're not being you're not held at gunpoint or being forced to do such a thing. This is what you do for you know the love of the game, if you if you say, or the love of the paycheck, however you want to put it. Uh, it's. It's definitely been a hot topic going around, and it's just very, it's very one side or another, and it's it's like so many people are quick to play the blame game on X Y Z, and it's it's never as cut and dry as that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, I'll, I'll put it another way. Um, in hockey, for example, do you remember in the mm-hmm. playoffs, like <laughs> well over a decade ago, Joe Thornton apparently blew out both his like ACLs and both knees, and he completed the playoffs until the Don't Sharks got out. That. Yeah, he just continued to play on that. Now, a reaction at the time was, "What was Joe Thornton doing? The medical staff should have taken him out early." But they were in the playoffs. They're in the hunt for the Stanley Cup. Clearly, there's a want from the athlete to stay in for the game. And, you know, what is what is the decision on him? Or does does he even tell anyone? First of all, what's the medical staff's reaction? It's uh, mm-hmm. uh, Gabriel Landeskog, the oh, captain yeah. of the Avs. He's been out with an injury going on two years now with his knee. But mm-hmm. what did he do prior to that? He fucking skated on the bad knee, fought through it, and yep. won the team a Stanley Cup as the captain. Right. And now he's been out for, it's going to be two years. Was the was the risk worth it? Was putting his body through that? Uh, as, as a fan, it's like, yeah, this guy did it for himself, did it for the fans, did it for the team. You know, who am I to tell this guy how, how and what he should put his body through for what he does, right? For sure. For sure. I mean, that's this. This is the argument. So there was a there was a spot from a GCW match that kind of went viral. Um, uh, it had light tubes and somebody falling off a cage or something. I don't know. It was it was pretty monstrous, and it got a lot of people talking. Um, oh, on look Twitter at this! Look at this elsewhere. tweet you just uh, messaged me too. <laughs> yeah. So. Um... Most AW- Joey Janela. Yeah, 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 yeah. From October 9th. Look at that. I told you it's very topical. Yeah. Most AEW wrestlers know more than 30 times a year. True. Orange Cassidy is one outlier. In AEW. About- right. In AEW. This is AEW. This is the one end of the, uh, end of the spectrum. A lot of stardom wrestlers wait, 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 have hang on. 70 to 90 at this point in time. Okay, but hang on, hang on, hang on. The, the numbers you're reading are their AEW matches. Right. They're the... The, the initial tweet isn't saying they didn't wrestle outside of AEW. They're saying this is how many matches they wrestled in AEW. Correct. Yeah, I understand. I'm just I'm just clarifying for the listeners. OK. Um, <laughs> Bowens and Caster at 40. Caster also has a lot of matches and beyond. Uh, Bucks, Hainman, Omega, Jericho, Guevara, 30 times a year. Yeah, OK, I got it. Uh, then a response was, the less frequently someone wrestles, depending on style, the longer their in-ring career will be. Also, age comes into play, past and present. Uh, Joey Janela, of all people, not true. The less you wrestle, the more susceptible to injury, 100%. So these are, I mean, okay, so that's another from wrestler experience. And I'm also saying this. I also said this. Uh, the... The... um. The style. I think the mm-hmm. style of the oh. type of the game you play is a, to me, that's a much bigger contributor than a lot of this other statistical analysis that people are doing. Hell, the NBA, Ricky, just came out with a statement. Now, it is a study by the NBA trying to get players mm-hmm. to uh, stop being rested during key games of the season, etc. You know, so according to them, be skeptical if you will, this is their data. Uh, they, Joe Dumars, I believe, was uh, was the spokesman. He goes, uh, look, w- they ran studies, and in an 82-game season, uh, you playing in more frequent games does not lead to an increase in risk of injury. 
Uh, now, he did say back-to-back games leads to fatigue, but that's ne- not necessarily injury-related. We can point to a lot of cases where it's like Gordon Hayward goes at, goes down on like the second play of the game and he's out for the season, right? Mm. Uh, we can point to Derrick Rose with the, uh, with his high uh, cut ability into his knees and he blows it out like after a couple seasons. And he was playing about 82 games, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's body's different and they handle a style differently. And it's to me, it's up to the athletes to adjust the style, adjust what they're doing uh, if it leads to injury and, and whatnot. Um, hell, Tiger Woods, right? That's a guy yeah. that pushed himself yeah. so much into the sport. And all it took was one kind of very stubborn move. And he's kind of never been the same, you know? He right. per- kind of permanently injured himself. Hell, I'll even make a family relation relation here. My dad used to play golf constantly, right? And mm. his style his style was very improper, and I know this now because he okay. also, we had a big conversation about it. And um, <laughs> he can't play anymore because of his back. He would twist his back too much. Mm. So I'm mm. trying to like tell him, like, look, you could probably still play, just don't twist your fucking back. Like, learn to play. <laughs> around that so you don't hurt yourself and he's like no i just would rather not do it i'm like well okay (laughs) then you know um i've had to adjust style styles myself in bowling and that that took so sure that this has been the big conversation i just found it super interesting very relatable and i have my own personal experience there's there's studies out there that lead to it uh you have anything to add um no i think i said my piece all right. So, New Japan <laughs> Destruction Real Goku 2023. Ooh. Also, New Japan has like 160 whatever events a year or something. Yeah, fact, I can pull um, that up. Is this the sh- is this the show that you warned me don't watch because you turned it off halfway through? I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, got... I probably wasn't going to get to it anyway, but that warning, I was yeah. Okay, here you go. New Japan Pro Wrestling. Ready for this? Twenty. This is how many events yeah. according to Cage Match they ran a year. 2016, 204. 2017, 221. 2018, 226. 2019, 190. 2022, 20, uh, 2, 2019. Or, uh, I'm sorry, 219. Jesus. <laughs> Mixing. So, New Japan runs a lot, to say the least. Right? Right. Yeah. Like, even in more down years, but, I mean, they're a 200-date-a-year promotion. How they utilize their right. talents and kind of fit them in with, you know, 10-man tags and whatnot, that was kind of brought up as an argument uh, from Alex of Stardom Quest that maybe Stardom can start incorporating more tag matches so it limits time in the ring and they're still getting in there and, you know, getting their, getting their work in, so to say. Found that mm-hmm. the most, like, constructive argument. <laughs> But yeah, Destruction Real Goku, 5,000 people at the Real Goku Kuku Kakagan. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I kind of like jumped around. I skipped the Just Five Guys match. And then I had to like watch some of the shit show for myself of this Tonga Loa Chase Owens singles match. Very bad. Mr. Dave yes. Meltzer gave it a star and three fourths. And it wasn't even the Ugh. worst match on the show. Ugh, gross has a 3.14 on cage match. It's well, it's being eviscerated. Wow. 
So then we get to we get to a standard eight man tag with Lij, the junior heavyweight tag title match with Kevin Knight and Koshida losing to Connors and Driller Maloney. I was like, okay, standard like two and a half three star fare, non offensive, but it went like thirteen minutes, and I'm like, eh, a little long. Six man tag where there was like this best of seven series, and it just ends with a tie. They just tied three to three with a draw. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody can win I guess <laughs> and then this is kind of where I kind of gave up it was this strong open weight tag title match it was Hikaleo and El Fantasmo against Coughlin and Kid. and I'm like this isn't a good match at all and I it wasn't just on Hikaleo there was just not very much energy to it and I go you know what I don't think this shows for me because I, I look up and I go, okay, so we got Motor City Machine Guns and Okada Ishii, that team going on. I'm like, that match is probably mm-hmm. going to be good. But then I think I'd be tempted to watch the rest, which includes another David Finley Tonga match. Sonata Evil, I had negative interest in. Unless I would read that Evil wins, then I'd be like, okay, I have to see that for myself. And then I just wasn't interested in the three-way of Hiromu, Mike, Be- Mike Bailey, and Yo. Just not into that sure. match at all. Just no interest. So I'm like, I'm already kind of just not feeling it. I'm not going to put myself through it. And the main event got a star and a half from Dave Meltzer. So I'm like, uh, yeah, that's terrible. Five point two one on cage match. I'm like, nah, no, thank you. <laughs> as bad. Yeah, not the not New Japan's best show of the year by any means. I uh, would agree, but we do as we record this. Uh, New Japan Royal Quest 3 in England is happening, and that looks way better. <laughs> we got an Ishii. Yeah, we got an Ishii Takagi match. Osprey Zack Sabre Jr. going for the IWGP. It's still marked as the US title on Cage Match. They gotta change that. It is the UK title. We got Kingston in a in a trios match that looks okay. An LIJ tag match, which is standard. Uh, United Empire against Narita and Umino kind of piques my interest. So this is, mm-hmm. f- for all intents and purposes, like a good New Japan card with English people kind of scattered throughout it. Yoda Suji is facing yeah. Luke Jacobs. I'm very interested in that one. Mm. I think Yoda Suji is going to run the good. floor with him, but. That's a show I'll probably. be watching. Uh, <laughs> we'll probably cover it on the, the next podcast so we have some New Japan to talk about. Cool. All right. Love it. That was the New Japan talk. You ready for uh, all elites <laughs> of wrestling? <laughs> Let's dive in. Oh, boy. All right. What wacky drop am I going to play here? Uh, <laughs> you know what? Hikaru Shida's old theme because... She's champion again. Mm. Yeah, she is. Yes, she Okay. So we can handle this a number of different ways. We can talk about the TV shows. We can talk about Super Tuesday with the wacky ratings and Tony Khan losing his mind. Uh, we could talk about <laughs> Wrestle Dream. What kind of big topic do you want to talk about first? I know we're a little late no, on Wrestle pick. Dream. 
But uh, you want to just you you're wanna... you're in charge. Okay. Um, let's do Wrestle Dream last, and then okay. I kind of want to go. I, I want to work backwards to mo- what's most recent. Okay. Sure. Starting with most recent, I have a message. Sheeta, 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 <laughs> Sheeta. Well, the uh, the most relevant would be the Super Tuesday rating stock, which I'm sure you're just super excited to talk about. <laughs> I don't care because I got that show, which was awesome. <laughs> we are the winners. Yeah, I thought it was a good show. Uh, I didn't think NXT was any good at all. But um, speaking of NXT, okay, this is how it goes down. Okay. At least the the cliff notes of oh, hello, kitty cat. Hi. I said. <laughs> Oh, okay, Mr. Cuddle. <laughs> okay, Zid. Get you in here. Need to be there. Yeah, I think he wants uh, to cuddle because it's getting a little cold now. So, okay, so the cliff notes of time events was uh, due to the start of the hockey season and mostly uh, playoff baseball happening. AW was preempted to move to Tuesdays. Okay, same thing happened last year. Mm-hmm. And because of that, now they're up against NXT. And one of NXT's like prime objectives this year was to beat AEW in the ratings, particularly 18 to 34. Right. Uh, and they just beat them total viewership the week prior, but they have never really gotten them in the demo other than one time. And that was a like near Christmas show with Rhea Ripley in the main event going for the title, if memory serves. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, now going back from like December last year, uh, NXT has been loading up their TV shows with some main roster talent coming in and out uh, for you know going on ten months now. Okay, so that's not new. Mm-hmm. What is new is their full court press to win this one night uh, for big dick ratings bragging rights. I guess right. Uh, Right. But the noticeable part is NXT has been growing in the ratings all year long, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever they're doing, I think the shows are terrible, <laughs> but here we are. Yeah, not for us. Not for us. Uh, but there is a certain sect of, well, I-, I think a lot of it has to do with WWE getting hot uh, with their fan base. And it's mm-hmm. it's been percolating to... NXT and what they're doing and look it's it's young talent developing and it's fresh talent and yeah. you know talk about it constantly whatever promotion it's you push young fresh talent people gravitate towards that that's how you grow your business yep. okay yep absolutely uh funny enough we'll talk about AEW here in a second not doing that I don't think enough <clears throat> but anyways the so NXT's full court press move was it just kept one upping one after another. Okay. John Cena's yeah. coming. The Undertaker is going to make an appearance. Uh, Cody has a big announcement. You know, these, these things, their biggest, essentially their biggest stars minus Roman Reigns, you know, that could make the trip. Yep. Right. Full court press. Yep. One expectedly uh, viewership was 600 to 900 something thousand. It's like, okay, you know, I'll get to I'll get to that more in a in a short quick second here. And then the demo was kind of close. It was 0.3 to 0.26. So Dynamite right, was kind right, of right. you know the same with a little kickback from NXT and on and off night. All right. Fair enough. And AEW didn't throw in the towel. 
right? We they they loaded up with uh, strong matches. Danielson Swerve, mm-hmm. uh, Hangman Jay White, and then some title changes with uh, with a bait and switch with Moxley, which I thought was very clown shit uh, from AEW. I don't think it was. I don't think it was a bait and switch. It, it, look, they advertised John Moxley up until the show starts. I mean, yeah, that's fine. It, does, yeah. it didn't bother me at all. That that stuff at really all. bothers me. The false advertising that that's that's very much to me very clown shit. Uh, Shida get wins the title to Soraya, which made a lot of people happy because Soraya is no good. <laughs> Nobody wanted to watch her wrestle. <laughs> Certainly not, and apparently neither did Tony Khan. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say AEW delivered on the most part to their end, and there's some weird like percolating things. And I think last night was a good example of some of the some of the things we've been discussing about all year with AEW, with mm-hmm. how I don't feel like this promotion is the same as it has been the last number of years since its inception. Sure. And the longer we get we've into this, we've talked about this at length. Yeah, right. And the the more we get into this, and the more they start, there's a lot of evidence now that we can kind of point to. And I've seen a lot. I've seen quite a few of the kind of the, I, I guess, online personalities and other podcasters that I kind of trust their opinion because they're very informed about things. And I'm going to spring this on you because I've mentioned that there's a lot of WWE-esque things into the show that really reminds me of WWE. Okay? hmm Okay. So one of the big things we can kind of point to is in, in, in terms of the ratings is if we look at how NXT and AEW kind of went up against each other in the past, okay? Mm-hmm. AEW is always more affected by sports, right? Or politics, right. Or some big event. It was never really affected by whatever WWE was doing. Okay? Cut to I- now this year, and the longer this year has gone on, we can really point to collision with what affects the show the most. You'd think, oh, they're going to get killed with college football and all these other live sports right. that are going on, and that really hasn't happened. Not really. No, I but mean, they get no, but they get nailed when WWE has a pay per view. Exactly, the same night. it's now flipped. And why is that? Well, WWE is certainly hotter. Maybe it's now just a uh, realization from wrestling fans that oh, we were just kind of wanting WWE to be better, and we just kind of watched the other thing because. Or, I'm more inclined to, like, also, yes, that is a factor. There's always going to be those, that sect of fans that just want, anyways. uh, With this increase of what I feel to be a WWE uh, directive to try to get their fans, it is now in turn hurt AEW's product with their original fans and what was making this promotion grow. I think that's a big factor to it. And we can point to collision as kind of the collision numbers as kind of a big indicator of that. What do you think? Yeah, I hadn't actually put those pieces together in the way that you just laid them out. Um, But that makes sense to me. Um, I, I mean, 
we're getting better wrestling everywhere, right? Like that's competition made everything better. Like WWE's hot again because AW exists. Um, sorta. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't think that's debatable. I think it's because the bloodline got hot with a lot of the fans. Yeah, but I'm I don't think even that would I don't even think that would have happened without AW driving need the, the competition. Okay, yeah, maybe. Let me phrase it like that. So Um so yeah, I think competition is really good for us, the fans. I mean, yeah, we saw a great example of that from Tuesday. I, yep. I think that was very fantastic. Now, the fallout, I think, uh, has led to some strange events. Uh, Tony Khan on Twitter kind of losing his mind. I don't really, <laughs> like, like he's clearly gotten to. Okay? Yeah, I mean, again, it doesn't bother me. I think he's fun. <laughs> I think it's a little unprofessional, but as I think as we've seen... He's a billionaire. I don't care. <laughs> well, right. You know, billion. I mean, look at Elon Musk. <laughs> exactly. What's um, what I don't agree with is like, or not agree with, but what's what's going to be more annoying, in, at least in like my circle, is all these grifters now have ammo for a while, and it's just going to be insufferable. True. True. Yeah. But do I think Tony Khan kind of spouting off a bunch of tweets is going to affect? The company, I don't. No, I think th I think the bigger issue to look at is how he's running the show, who he's delegating the shows to. I think Jimmy Jacobs, uh, in terms of creative, mm -hmm. is not a good thing. Uh, and Jeff Jarrett running ticket sales is not a good thing. We made fun of the hire. J Excuse me. Yeah, we made okay. So we Jeff made Jarrett fun of runs ticket sales. He does. He runs like live events and. In what and what what does that even mean? Like, what is like his job? Schedu like scheduling and running tickets and how to distribute and and advertising, like the thing he tried to do oh. with TNA when he started up. Like that's oh. kind of shit he was in charge of and delegating to people in charge of how to do that. And if you remember when he was first hired, I made fun of the fact that this guy doesn't have the best track record of being successful in that. I do remember that and. I don't think it's a coincidence that these ticket sales have dipped the way they have with AEW mm. and he's been in charge this time. Yeah, I feel like AEW is missing something, especially with the with marketing the live shows in their cities. Look at what the all of the press that they did for Grand Slam did for ticket sales in New York. Obviously, they don't need to do something at that level for weekly shows, but why I feel like they're not even trying. Like they so, could put somebody on the local morning show, like one person. I'll get, I'll give you a, a good example of something. You ready? Yeah. Uh, Dynamite is coming to uh, Houston in the suburb of Katy, Texas next week. Okay. okay. Well, guess what? I have family there. <laughs> That's where I grew up. And, uh -huh. Really, the only kind of advertisement that they're seeing that this and and it's going to be in a brand new, newly built, like, uh, sports center 
for like the entire mm-hmm. district of all the like major high schools to play like competitive volleyball and basketball and those kind of things. It's a great arena. Mm-hmm. That's been in the works well, for like 15 years. Okay. Okay. And the only real advertisements are these like little clippings in, in goofy little magazines and newspapers. Mm. That's really the only advertisements that yeah. people have been seeing. And I've been telling like my family, hey, look out for this and send me some stuff. And my yeah. mom finally sent me like one random magazine of like, oh, it's AEW's coming to town and also the Rice Festival's happening <laughs> happening. <laughs> right? Yeah, like but I mean, gu- guess I was what? just who at is Dynamite. From, yeah. Who is from Katie? Who is from Katie? Ricky Sammy Fox? Guevara. Uh, he fucking grew up there. He went to high school there. Like, what a guy to, like, represent the area and fucking send out, hey, you're going to have a show in your hometown. Yeah. Why are they not doing that? Haven't heard anything of Sammy Guevara being in big advertisements for that for that show. Yeah, well, but like, Jason and I were at Dynamite two weeks ago in Denver, in the Denver area, uh-huh. I should say. It was, it's not Denver. Um, and, yeah, same thing. There was no local marketing. I didn't see anything. I work downtown two days a week. I saw mm-hmm. nothing. Like, not, like uh, we don't put ads on our buses, so it's, like, hard to... Um, I mean, there's like ads inside the buses, not on the outsides of the buses. Right. Um, I haven't been taking public transportation, but I didn't hear anything about AW coming to town. Like people, like friends of mine who aren't wrestling fans, would you know will will always ask me when WWE is coming to town. Hey, Eric, are you going to that show? But I heard nothing from anyone. Saying like, oh, I heard there's going to be wrestling. Are you going? You know? Yeah, running advertisements on local radio stations, talk shows oh, in the morning. Nothing. That, I mean, those are kind of the, the main players, and there's there's just nothing going on. So, very disappointing yep. there. And I think there's a lot of correlation to a lot of the things we're naming here. Uh, so, going back to what I think needs to be really hard looked at when it comes to AEW is to me, it's your main event that that's where a lot of your main interest lies because you can have a great main event picture with Mm -hmm. a lousy undercard and mid card and your promotion will still do phenomenal. Right. But if you have a Mm -hmm. great lower and mid card and a lousy main event, a la WCW for many of the many of the times, uh, your 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 audience loses interest heavily. So what I'm going with this, this is going to be a big topic. Is I think this MJF title reign and the storyline is a complete bust when it comes to the success of this promotion right now. Say what are again. your Sorry, thoughts? Sorry, I zoned out for a second. <laughs> on what? On what? I zoned out for like. Sorry. So. I've talked about the <laughs> WWE kind of esque storylines and yeah, oh. promotions relating to the yeah. decline of AEW, at least in mm. what they're shooting for. What is their main event? Is yeah. this MJF Adam Cole thing and all their vignettes and stuff? Right. Ha- oh, they're getting real bad too. Ah, 
You're so you think they're crossing a line with it now? You're getting too campy. Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah. Well, I mean, part of part of it is like that. The most recent ones haven't been Adam and MJF together. It's been Adam and Roddy. Um, the appeal of those vignettes to me was the chemistry between MJF and Adam. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And when it's MJF and, and Jay White, it's be- It's just certainly better. I would say it's better. Yep. I, I think, think it's just, yeah, you need to get MJF in there. <laughs> right. And that's, so we saw two things of MJF on Super Tuesday, Title Tuesday. Uh, first of all, he didn't mm-hmm. have a match. He didn't have the title on the line. He wasn't doing any of that. Uh, funny how that works. Uh, but uh, we saw at the beginning of the show a Adam Cole, Roderick Strong vignette with the kingdom doing goofy shit. You know, they're mm-hmm. mowing lawns, you know, doing furniture shit. There's a there's a pet giraffe for whatever reason. And then <laughs> on the dichotomy side, I don't even know if that's the right word to use right now, but I'll just say it anyways. MJF is confronting Jay White, who took his title. He cuts a very impassioned promo. There's no trying to get the audience to chant a goofy, campy line that makes right. no sense. He wants his title. And that, to me, is what makes AEW AEW. Is they're taking their title seriously, the programs are serious, and the storyline mm-hmm. implication, like, what at, I, I think we all can kind of point to the Kenny Omega hangman storyline as what everybody wanted to see right 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 it was it was a serious contention uh for a the goal is a big match right right mjf with this coal and strong thing i don't get the feeling it's for anything other than haha's what do you got a ghost in there (laughs) my dog is making these noises can you see her head (laughs) <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah i see but like can you 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 can't hear her no, okay because no, no. she is like i have i have headphones in both ears and i can hear her going like, <laughs> like what? so you got a dog you got a dog so having nightmares and i got a cat here well, right next to yeah, me yeah so this this dog is normally really quiet and that's why it's okay to have her in the room with me <laughs> when i record the other dog i don't trust um uh, the other dog was never a barker, but as she's aging, she's just yapping all the time. She's yeah. 12 or 13 and just yeah, needs to bark her head off all the time now. So anyway, sorry. Sorry I was distracted by no, my dog sorry. making weird noises. So do you think this, uh, I, I guess I'll just cut to the chase here. Do you think this MJF title is now considered a bust? I need to get this thing off him. Um... I am growing slightly weary of the title reign. I also think that belt looks really good wrapped around Jay White's waist. <laughs> like, holy crap, does that does belt look well. good on him? Um, I don't think Jay White is the right person to take it off MJF, but I don't know who is anymore. That's a problem, right? it, we used to say we used to say Wardlow, and they they brought him back, and he had the MJF on the wrist tape, but. Unless they really push him really hard for... I don't see it. Next. Yeah. I don't see it. I don't know. War- Wardlow... I don't know anymore. Wardlow would I have been a good Adam challenge Cole. last year when he first won the thing. Right. Yep. 
That w- that yeah. would have felt. Now, do I think Wardlow should win this thing like ever? No, I don't. I don't think he's the guy. I don't think he's a guy to get to that level. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess Adam Cole probably takes it from him. How long is he gonna be out? I'm not gonna. I'm, oh fuck! I forgot about his. I forgot about his fucking ankle. I'm not. I'm not waiting that long. Are you kidding me? I know you're right. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> then I don't know. But here's the thing. But honestly, here's the I thing. Don't know. We waited well over a year for that Jade Cargill thing to stop spinning its wheels just for Chris Statlander. Mm-hmm. Just because they want, they were so married to that that tiny little story right. aspect. I could totally see them just sticking with MJF until Cole's healed again. I fucking hope not. No, that's that just sounds awful. I mean, well, okay. here's the thing. It can happen. I said he should hold the belt until the end of the year because the bidding war of 24. Um, That's as long as I would let it go. Um, Let's see. Let me know what you know what you know what would be more interesting. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, so he beats Jay White. Let's go with that. They have a pay per view yeah. in December that they're that they. That's that what I'm. Done. That's what I'm hearing that there's going to be a New Year's a pay per view around New Year's between be, probably on the 30th or the 31st. Um, that's when he, he that's when he drops the belt. So that to me is um with. Hangman Page and Swerve still going at each other, which I do like that story. That's one of the more interesting things. Sure do. And then Moxley's clearly going to stick in the international title with Cassidy, which we'll get yeah. to that in a second here. I'm very disappointed with that. I like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll touch on both of those. We'll come back to them. Yeah. So now I, I usually don't like saying who should take the title off until we've like seen the rain play out. I think the rain has very much overstayed its welcome. I don't think this MJF title reign has been successful at all. Yeah. So uh... to make this interesting, to peak interest is Mm. we get through the Jay White match and immediately we get a slew of people who want this thing. Whether it's, you know, let's not have Wardlow powerbomb guys for another three months, right? right? We got Wardlow, we got Swerve, we got Paige. Uh, we got whomever you want to Kenny Omega. Let's get like major players involved with this thing. And MJF mm-hmm. is teasing War of Twenty Four, right? He's teasing he's gonna leave with the belt. He's because he is CM Punk, well, right? Here's, like that's well, here's the, yeah, that's the whole here, thing. Here's the interesting. So he's thing. gonna tease. Yeah, I've been thinking about this because I'm I'm super happy you brought this up because this is where I was end up leading to. It was, he's a baby face now, and right. Tony Khan That's has got, it, it, this is funny, because now Tony Khan has heat with, like, the internet, <laughs> and they, like, yeah. this, to me, the obvious story is, Tony Khan does not want to enter this war of 24. He doesn't want to risk his title, his champion, his, the, right. his company's title to right. leave, so he's going to put babyface right. MJF against a gauntlet of P- of top contenders gunning for this thing and he's going to wrestle yeah. every week okay eliminators title matches or not he yeah. has to wrestle every week against these like top guys and okay. 
he can cheat, he can do whatever, like, this is like Ric Flair in the 90s, where everyone loves him and he's still cheating, right? Yeah. And then we get to, and and we have to have in our heads the grand idea that at the pay-per-view, it's the final, like, guy to beat MJF. Right. Right. Who is it? Uh... I think it depends on if the crowd. I think you got to play this. I think you got to play this carefully. If the crowd starts to turn on MJF, which I don't think is going to happen, I think they're. I think mm-hmm. fans are fully invested in him as babyface. Would it be the worst idea to have to to have someone like Swerve or who who would be another top end heel right now besides Christian? I like Christian. I c- who? Pack. Pack returning. I like that idea. Pack or Christian. I feel like let me pull up the roster. I feel like we're missing something really obvious. But okay. we don't know if so we don't know if Pack is my, healthy though. So okay, let's let's right. hypothetically so, go with Swerve so because what, that's that's a story wait, wait, I think wait. a lot of people are getting behind. Okay. So let's say they really run the ball with Swerve, really take the chance. Because if it doesn't, here's the thing, yeah. if it doesn't work out, like, immediately, you know. And the revolution is right there, and you can right. just take it off him. That's fine. I think Swerve's a great candidate to end this thing with MJF, and that would, and if if we if we keep going on the assumption that this crowd loves this man and wants to see this play right. out, Swerve would get an e- enormous amount of heat from taking this title off the bloody baby face. That's true. So... Before MJF turned babyface, my fantasy booking was as a heel, right? He's threatening to leave the company with the belt. And then um, a babyface has to save the belt and save the company from MJF, right? And I thought it was going to be one of the other pillars. I thought it was going to be... Or somebody who's been... Or someone... Or someone who's been around since the beginning. Somebody who, like, is AEW. Maybe Paige. Maybe Hangman Paige. I think Hangman Paige um, would be the better option there, but... Sure. Yeah. But that was my that was my thought before he turned babyface. I totally forgot to, like, factor that into the equation. I think Swerve is a good shout. I think um, I think Jay White would be great, too, except they're, they're already lining it up, and I think it's too soon. Um, even though I'm tired, even though I'm tired of the rain, does that I make mean, sense? <laughs> I mean, they could easily do the Jay White match at full gear, and then some something happens that's up to creative to figure out, right? And then mm-hmm. they can they can simply roll it back in December. I think that's fine. That's enough time to do the a rematch. Yeah, they could build it up even. Yeah, further. they could. So Jay White's a good could. candidate too. So we'll go with Swerve and Jay White. You know, I'm I'm okay with it. I, I think I'd prefer Swerve because that's that's I think a risk worth taking. Yeah, because you just don't know how a guy is going to draw for you until you try. Excuse me. Oh, Takeshita. Well, I think he could be part of the. He's not as hot. He's not as hot as Swerve. No, I think I think Swerve has the higher upside currently in what he's doing. I I love Takeshita. There's something I think still missing there. I think I think he. I think the epic Kenny Omega singles matches is the bigger yeah. thing for him. Like it, it, yeah. he can be a great just, contender currently. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking at this 
roster pick of Swerve on the AW website. I'm like, <laughs> how do you look at this man and not re- think this guy is him? He just has it. Holy fuck. Yeah, put the belt on that man. I think it's worth Give a it try. Him. That's where I was kind of going. I, I went through all this ratings, ratings discussion yep. and the WWE, and this is how I believe this is an example of how this company can get back on track with their main event. Because when it comes to something sure. like the mid card right now, or, you know, upper upper echelon, I'll call it that way, because nothing about it feels mid anymore with how they've presented mm-hmm. the international and TNT title. I think the last few months have been phenomenal, with the exception of kind of where they've taken the international title due to injuries right now. Mm-hmm. I'm very disappointed with the Orange Cassidy decision of him just right back where it was now could they be doing something with that that we don't know sure but on the surface right now it's he lost it he was eating chips with hook and that's about it and now he's just right (laughs) back where he was Uh, we thought he was going to lose up we thought he'd be a great candidate to start going for the main event title yep maybe he could even what happened maybe he can even like parallel move over to the christian storyline right That'd be another option if, yeah. you, if you're not like fully yeah. invested into main event. But they're not doing that. Uh, wacky stuff with Phoenix being banged up, Moxley with concussions, uh, the Orange Cassidy. We'll we'll see with the international title. It's it's definitely a, a major hiccup right now. The TNT title has been phenomenal with the Christian stuff. Yes, they got Darby Allen, Nick Wayne. They got a number of different aspects. Edge coming in, or I'm sorry, uh, Adam Adam Cope man. Adam Copeland. Yeah, Cope. I hate that. I hate that. So many Adams. Calling him Adam Copeland. There's so many Adams. A lot of Adams. A lot of Adams. A lot of Tonys. Two, two, three. There's four Tonys. Who's the fourth? There's including Tony Khan. Storm. Oh yeah, that guy. (laughs) Giovanni and Storm. Yeah. Well. A lot of Tonys. Tony Storm is doing great things, by the way. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on with that. Pump, pump the brakes on that okay. one. Okay, <laughs> okay. Let's not take that corner too quick. The TNT title. So, do you have any thoughts on Orange Cassidy, or is it mere my own right now? Um, I, this was not the plan, right? This was it never the be. plan. No, the plan was to give it to Mox. Um, give it back to Mox. I mean, Moxley was never supposed to drop it. Phoenix was never supposed to win it. And so I think the plan for Federal Tuesday was give it back to Mox and restart whatever they had planned. Yeah. Probably Moxley, Orange Cassidy, um, rematch at some point. Um, that could be a big TV match now. Yeah. Now, that's what I... That's why I am excited for that to a degree, but simply going mm-hmm. back to Orange Cassidy kind of made me, I was like, okay, I like the title on him again, but yet I also have no interest with him with the title again. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care, yeah. which is unfortunate because his first run was so great. Right. Um, and the, that title felt like it mattered. It felt bigger than the TNT belt. Um, but now I don't care. This is where his nonchalant attitude, I think, hurt because they're like, hey, you wanted the match? And he's like, "Ugh, yeah, all right, I guess. And he's like, OK, well, if you don't want it, yo, no, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. And then he just kind of looks at the title after he won it. 
<laughs> like, ah, I don't know. Well, yeah, and then so I don't I don't know what they're doing there. So I don't know if you realize if you notice this or if I maybe am misremembering it, but when Orange Cassidy left the ring, he almost walked past best friends. Yeah, I noticed that. Um what yeah, he like wasn't celebrating with them he walked past them sort of the burden and then they is back on his shoulders to <laughs> yeah to fist bump him and and whatever um yeah so we have adam uh corner in aw uh big wrestle dream main event there his entrance he as the beatdown was going on <laughs> whole video package played and he does his whole wwe uh the big celebration walks down to the ring <laughs> this guy's about to get his head caved in and he's like he's he's gotta he's gotta get the pyro off <laughs> but anyways he's an AEW now what are your thoughts on mr adam copeland ricky what's going on I'm sorry. I just got really distracted because I just got a notification that my all elite crate was attempted to be delivered. And then. At, so at 616, uh-huh. they said they left. a note. First of all, I live in a condo. I have a set of mailboxes. Right. right? And then we have packaged lockers. Yeah. Are the, all the lockers filled? Maybe. But this says that they gave me a notice that they couldn't reg- couldn't um, deliver the All Elite crate. And now it says, so that was at 6.16 p.m. At 6.17 p.m., 60 seconds later, they say, no such number, and your item was returned to, the set- to sender on October 13th because of an incorrect address. What? Which is obviously not what happened. Yeah, I am fucking livid right now. Um, I don't, I don't know what to do. So if they, if they, if you, if, oh, anyways, I guess figure that out. Sorry. Mailing systems, they suck. (laughs) Well, I I guess it'd be most of the deliverers, the delivery boys, uh, don't even try. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I remember I was, this was like a couple months ago, I was home waiting for a package, and I get the notification, it's like 10 stops away, so I'm like, all right, I'll hang out, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and then I just all of a sudden get the, could not deliver, resident was not home. I'm like, I was home the whole time, what are you talking about? (laughs) I know, that's what I'm saying, like, what the, and like, if they tried to come to the door, obviously you and I have been talking, so, um, but whatever, but they shouldn't have. Returned it <laughs> one minute later. I'm so, I'm so pissed off right now. Oh boy, I don't know how to don't know how to deal with this. Yeah, I guess you'll have to look into what the precautions are, what what the responses are. Because usually they'd they'd leave a, a note somewhere where you have to like contact right. something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So TNT title. What what are your thoughts on Edge coming into AEW? Try to get your um, mind back on track. Um, I 
don't know. I didn't watch him in his heyday because mm-hmm. I wasn't watching wrestling then. And I didn't watch him in his WWE comeback either because I stopped watching WWE. Um, I, I'm excited to see him and Christian pair up again. But uh, other than that, I have... I just I have no nostalgia for the man, so I can't say like I can't say him versus anybody is a dream match because I I've seen him wrestle like three matches ever in my life. So I don't. don't Yeah, I've never been a big edge guy, Mr. Mr. Copeland, Copeman, Cope. (laughs) I. I'll give it a chance, I suppose, but this kind of goes into a lot of other issues with AEW I have where there's just, I want to see young guys get pushed. I want to see new talent. I want to see fresh talent. I'm so, like, Christian has been a unique, like, blessing because of how great he's Mm -hmm. been, and look, everything he's done in this company is to push young talent, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know been in the thing since uh, with Darby and Jungle Boy and all those like he's been very key to that so I appreciate what he's doing appreciate what Kenny Omega's doing he's you know all elite Jericho's been there since day one these are the mm-hmm. like exception of kind of guys but one after another now it's just year after year big show Mark Henry uh, Edge you can take backstage talent front talent there's just too many of these people that come in get featured and get all the screen time and push when it clearly doesn't mean enough towards ticket sales or ratings. And it's, it's too much of the stereotype of companies of the past where they're trying to tap into some sort of nostalgia or past market. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many times we have to go through the game of look, you might get one pop out of it, maybe two and then you're you're just you're just back to square one because you're not trying to create the new stars that you need so when it comes to edge i'd rather not i'd rather see yeah. i'd rather see guys like swerve i'd rather see guys yep like Wardlow continue his story even though I'm not that into him anymore I'd rather see mm-hmm. some of the women develop I'd, ra- I'd rather see a lot of things over Edge so that's true okay so I got some of the cards up uh, we went through a lot of that oh I wanted to bring up this up about NXT I watched that Becky Lynch Tiffany Stratton match the hardcore thing oh yeah uh, very good went full three on it yeah now that i have now that i have access to peacock again i might um i might watch You're both welcome. matches <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah the tiffany stratton like she is something and a lot of those women in nxt because they come from highly athletic backgrounds not all of them are gonna mm-hmm. pander out not all of them are gonna work out but all it takes is a handful and you got yourself a good core, right? And mm-hmm. the ones that are picking it up, and I'll keep saying Big Tiff, she is going to be something big. Okay. That match 
with Becky Lynch was such a great display of like Becky's talent and just a way to carry mm-hmm. yourself in the ring and put a match together. And then Tiffany Stratton's athleticism and what she's learned is clearly translating. Yeah. So I'm really interested in seeing her development. I've, I've really gone out of my way this year to watch kind of all of her. And I thought that was like her coming out party match. Thought that was, that was the one now, as for the match, it's very WWE-esque, especially with the hardcore where it's like, get the toolbox out, get this weapon, go hit him, brawl, make a funny face. and then, But as soon as we got to like the ending, the second half of the match, and especially the ending stretch, uh, that's where mm-hmm. it was like, okay, these two are kind of doing their own thing rather than just going by mm-hmm. WWE script producer stuff. Yeah. And very enjoyable. Highly recommend. Um do I have it over Charlotte Rhea at WrestleMania? I don't. I still think that's the best WWE women's match this year, but this was this is probably Which second. One? Charlotte Ripley. Which from, one do you think? Uh, oh, from Mania. That one was very enjoyable. Okay, that was very good. Yeah. So there, there you go. Um, so back to AEW. We got so uh, Dynamite results were uh, Mr. Copeland. Defeated the dinosaur guy. Uh, I thought that was like the weakest match on the show, honestly. Yep. <laughs> Just went on forever. Just a big beat down. Sheeta defeats uh, Soraya. Uh, I thought the near falls, they really that's what got the crowd into the match, was they put a match together to make you think that Sheeta had no chance. And like every finish was going right. to be the death blow. So in that sense, I thought whoever produced that uh, did a phenomenal job. And Sheeta, look, you watch this thing. Sheeta did such a high-end job, like, protecting this woman from taking bumps. The one that right. made the rounds yeah. was the German on the apron. And she lifts her up and then kind oh. of puts her down slowly. And Sheeta, like, bends her back, like, in all these different ways to make sure Soraya, like, lands on a pillow, <laughs> essentially. And then she goes falls right. to the ground. And I'm like, there you go. I made the joke on Twitter and, like, this big kayfabe thing where I go, well, clearly, Sheeta knew. That to take four endurance points off of Soraya and her noodle neck, you don't need to do a lot of damage <laughs> and therefore risk your own bodily harm to, <laughs> to, in order to uh, accomplish the goal at hand. <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> you noticed uh, Sheeta's last two title wins have come via roll-up? I did. We talked yeah. about it on the last win. Um, yeah, not a fan of that. Um... Also, both came on TV. They did, but I'm I'm definitely okay with that that part. Uh, so yeah, she, uh, Soraya, no more title. Thank God, get that shit out of my face. Uh, Jay White defeats Adam Page via interference from Nana. I went three out of three on this, but I'm like three and three fourths. Big Dave stars. Where'd you stand? Yeah, three and three fourths is about right for me, okay. I think. Um, very, very good. Not great. I like that they're... Like, so I was so when I saw the yeah. matchups uh, for this title Tuesday Dynamite, and I saw mm-hmm. both Swerve and Page in matches that they looked like they were going to lose, I'm like, how are they going to... Yeah. How are they going to structure these to get them, like, out of losing? You know, I, I was like... Yes, I, I did... 
are they going to go back to Swerve and Page? Because it was a pretty definitive win at WrestleDream for Strickland. Well, sure enough. Uh, Page. Yeah. Page gets uh, rolled up tights. Jay White title match. And then earlier in the night, Danielson and Strickland, uh, I thought, had a phenomenal match. I went um, I went four stars there, full three. Uh, and that's where Paige kind of got involved. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. why exactly. I, I'm looking forward to see, like hearing from uh, Mr. Hangman over why he kind of did the, the heel move in interfering in a match after he had lost. Does he come across as a sore loser? I almost feel like the... Danielson hmm. and Jay White match should have been switched because if Swerve fucked him first, then it would make sense with a baby face to come out and get his revenge. Right. That is, that's my memory of it. That's not what happened. <laughs> no, the page match happened later. In the oh, night. OK. Damn. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Swerve and Danielson open the show. Hmm. Yeah. But 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 Hangman didn't didn't fuck him he stopped him from cheating yeah but why did he come out i mean what what was his uh what'd you send me here live now um, friday the just 13th. a show that's awesome glory we got or have it on oh, over hog. here the hog <laughs> yeah yeah whole hog <laughs> uh house of glory yeah okay the last time it was Friday the 13th, I uh, bowled an 800 series in bowling, so uh, that was cool. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Collision, Kingston Let's beat get, Commander. Yeah, refocus. Nah. Already kind of talked about anything. Tony Storm defeats Kara Hogan. Okay, so here's the thing about Tony Storm. We haven't touched on her. Okay. So I like the Timeless Tony gimmick. I like the idea. I like the, uh, yes. the Marilyn Monroe, you know, Sunset Boulevard thing that she's yep. doing. The silent movie in the picture in picture went over everyone's heads. I mean, it was bad. Like, I feel like they've heard of silent films, but have never actually seen one. <laughs> it's like, do you not know what silent um, means? Look, this goes into, are people stupid? Like, <laughs> no, I'm saying AEW didn't do a good job. Oh, okay. Not because in the presentation. she wasn't really, there, there was no the the. I thought it was a great use of picture in picture, and I thought it was a really fun idea. But I don't think anyone at AEW has ever actually seen a silent film. Oh yeah, probably not. Because she was just she was just flailing around. Like, was she trying to tell a story? Why were there no she was caption cards? You know, like ah, I'm glad. Yeah, uh, yeah. if if there was like the little cut to a caption card to describe yeah. what was happening, that would have made sense. Yeah, to I do agree. the dialogue. Yeah. Uh, so, with t- Tony losing the title and her descent into this character, and it's a little, mm-hmm. I think I think she's crossing the line here where she's acting more crazy rather than, mm-hmm. so when she first started this, she came across like she needs to be this like uber important person and, and going into the past to kind of justify right. her at her rock bottom of losing the title. Like that made sense to me, but because because of the ha-has, you have to get the Mm ha-has. Now she's just this like comedy Mm -hmm. character rather than being this more serious persona. Let me put it this way. 
when she was pissed off and throwing the shoe, like we all reacted to mm-hmm. it, and thought it was funny, but she was being a serious character. That's where I thought it had merit. Right. Now she's doing it as like a shtick, and now it comes across as more hack to me. You know, when she's coming out mm. in the Sheeta match and she's chasing him down and going ah, ah, with the shoe, I'm like, eh. yeah. That's where that's where the line's being drawn. I think she's crossing it. Yeah, and, it, yeah. I I definitely hear what you're saying. Uh, she'll she'll have to be careful going forward to make sure she doesn't fully cross into that. But obviously, we know she's one of the most talented wrestlers in the company, if not the most uh, women's wrestlers. So, uh, yeah. If we're building up to Tony Storm Sheeta at Full Gear, I'm all for that. Because I don't think they've yeah. had a singles match, have they? I don't. I don't know that they have. Yeah. Wait. Wait. Who did she did? No, she did. Didn't she beat Tony for the belt? Oh. Before Grand Slam. That's right. No, before All In. Or was it Hater? Did Jamie Hater have it? No, no, no. Now Hater, I need to Hater look at vacated. the lineage of the. I think you're right. It was Sheeta. Yeah, they yeah. they had, or um, it was Storm and Sheeta, and that's what kind of started the descent. Okay, hang on. Yeah, yeah. No, you're we're right. Going, you're we're right. going to lineage. All right, let me just go through the rest of these. Hater. No, no, no. Yeah, Sheeta beat Tony Storm. Yeah. On yeah, Dynamite via roll up. Yeah, via the roll up. Yeah. Via roll up. Yep. All right. Acclaim beat Iron Savages. Uh, Bullet Club Gold defeated Angelico Metallic Gravity. Brian Danielson defeated Fletcher. There's some callous storyline going on there. Big Bill, Ricky Starks, Squash, FTR. All right, conspiracy theory, Ricky. Did FTR do this to get out of losing to the Young Bucks? Oh. <laughs> uh, I didn't hear that or think of that. Um... No. <laughs> mm. I mean, well... <sighs> Maybe. I mean, I I don't know. Like, obviously, when the Young Bucks won the title opportunity, we were all dreaming of FTR Bucks 4. So maybe? I don't know. I'm not discounting it. My uh, my conspiracy brain's uh, working, working hard there. Uh, <laughs> especially when it came out that uh, they weren't actually injured. So, right. Yeah. Okay. What else we got here? Dynamite anniversary show, uh, which they don't. Uh, man, that's. I think that's a missed opportunity. They need to really plug the anniversary what? shows every year. A lot harder. Yeah. yeah. So we got Jericho yeah. Omega versus the Cal's family continues. They defeated Fletcher and Takeshita. Uh, this is where Wardlow made his return. Acclaimed defeated Kip Sabian, Butcher and Blade. Five minutes, nothing. I'm tired of the acclaimed. And I'm not I'm I'm very skeptical of how this acclaimed MJF thing is gonna lay out, even though you and I obviously know the Create a Pro and Beyond History and all that. Sure, sure. Um I think I mean whatever match they have against um the Bang Bang Gang, it'll be fun. But I don't know where it goes from there. Um, and I am ready to put trio's title on a different trio. 
Yeah, I am as well. I'm ready for the acclaim to turn heel again. Ooh. I mean, if they become a permanent fixture with MJF, I think there's some legs there. But I've already seen the comparison of, which is kind of a shame. I think it speaks volumes to the acclaims kind of fall is they're really comparing it to Adam Page and the Dark Order. Like a, mm. bunch of, a bunch of geek nerds okay. with a champion. Yeah. 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 But if the Acclaim turn heel and they go back to their kind of like ways that more or less got them over in the first place, cutting wraps and stuff. And right. I think there could be some legs there. But with MJF these days, I'm very skeptical. All right. Wrestle Dream. Yeah, I don't know. What'd you think? Okay. So... Full disclosure, I downloaded the show onto my phone and watched most of the show on my phone. <laughs> yeah, I watch a lot of wrestling um, on my phone. But I, well, <laughs> because we were flying back from Florida on Monday. So Sunday night um, of Wrestle Dream, I was at a wedding, didn't watch the pay per view live. And in order to avoid spoilers, downloaded the show to my phone so I could watch it on the plane and and not um and not worry about it on Monday. Um or on Tuesday when I right. you know started using the internet again. Um so I watched everything up to the main event. Uh no, everything up to the tag match with FTR and Aussie Open on my phone. Oh, okay. And then those two matches and then those two matches I didn't watch until um until the next day. That's okay. And then Oh no 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 no. <laughs> I watched the tag match on my phone on the plane, fell asleep. So then I started again from the tag match and then watched the main event. Um and I didn't go back and rewatch the show like I meant to. I meant to, and I didn't get to a chance yeah, to go back. Fine. Um, so I was exhausted on this flight and watching on my phone. But I had fun. I thought every ma- every match was excellent. There were no there were no dips. Um, I have. It was three. high. It was high the whole time for me. I was. I had three. Three I dips. So, um, the Ricky Starks Wheeler Yuta match um, was was fine. It you know. Um, All right, let's play. Let's play. It probably uh, was not. Yeah, let's play. Let's play quick down the card. MJF defeats the Righteous. Okay. Nine minutes. Oh, that was stupid. All right, there's everything after that was good. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was <laughs> dumb too. Didn't like it. Uh, that's two pay per views in a row. MJ- actually, it's. I was thinking about this. That's four pay-per-views in a row. But he hasn't that, defended the title? No, no, but it's four pay-per-views in a row. I have actively disliked the MJF match. Or just haven't been into like the build and therefore couldn't get into the match. So it was the, the, the four pillars match. That build I thought was terrible. So this goes back to February, really. February, late February, early March, at best. Yeah. Um, 
And then I hated the all in main event. Uh, he had Which was a, what? Remind me. That was Adam Cole and the double clothesline pin okay. nonsense. Oh, yep, yep. He had a very, to me, forgettable match against Kojima at Forbidden Door. He was not the focus. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that happened. He, let's see, and then they did the Adam, wait, hold on, MJF. What was that? See, I remember uh, what he did at All Out already. It was an ROH tag title match, wasn't it? Yeah. Wait, at all... That's right, that was the Dark Order match, so that was weird. In or all out, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was the Dark Order match. The Samoa Joe match at Grand Slam was good, but something felt weird about like how that story goes, and it looks like they're going back to it with Joe. And yeah. then we had this Righteous match, and I'm like, I don't get this MJF thing in this company right now. Anyways, uh, Kingston defeats Shibata 11 minutes. Yeah, that was really good. Okay. Statlander defeats Julia Hart 9 minutes. Good, not great. Um, one of, maybe, that was probably Julia's best match. Um, she's still young. Um, they wrote her off. She got married today. <sighs> Of course they wrote her. Yay. Up. You know. It's always got married. She it's got always, married today. Yeah, but it's always funny how this uh, works in this company that all of a sudden these women are off TV all the time. They're just getting a little over and, you know, Julia Hart gets married. Okay. You know, coincidentally, uh, during the hottest period of her push. And I'm just saying. Yeah, I thought that was a, an interesting choice. Uh -huh. um, obviously, they've probably had the wedding planned for... You know, ever. Right. So why so. pull the trigger now and not till she gets back anyways? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Young Bucks defeat The Guns, Hook and Cassidy, and The Lucha Bros for a number one contendership match. Um, I thought it was fine. Very good. I thought it was fine. Very good. Um, there were, you know, spot fest, um, which I like. I like a spot fest. Swerve defeats Adam Page 20 minutes. I adored this match. It was my match of the night. This was, this was the match that, you know, I think before Wrestle Dream, you and I had been saying, you know, push Swerve, see, you know, see, see how high he can go, see if he can put on a big match on a big stage and is is he the guy this will be the test and i think he passed the test with flying colors i think he did as well so i'm very confident that's why i'm that's why i made that whole kind of end of year scenario where it would end with him yeah, as I an think, example of a big push i do think that is the answer starks defeated utah is okay <laughs> i guess that's yeah, fine danielson defeats zach I mean, saber jr yeah. Peculious, <laughs> peculiar place on the card. It's kind of in the middle of the show. Very, very. Twenty-three um, minutes. Um, yeah, this was excellent. Don Callis family. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Defeats Jericho and the Golden Lovers. Uh, I'm ready to just call it in on Ibushi. I don't think he's got it anymore. 
He announced today that he has a contract with A&W. Sure does. Sort of. <laughs> it's got like a limited date thing going on, but... It's I mean, a contract. He's got, yeah, he's going to be a special attraction guy, I guess. FTR defeats Aussie Open. Apparently, uh, Davis like broke his wrist. Uh, Cash, I think, like bruised his ribs real bad. Uh, this match, I thought, was mm. a mess. I didn't really enjoy this all that much. Which makes sense, because guys got injured um, in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought it was good. It wasn't as good as their Royal Crest match. No. It was nowhere near. Nowhere yeah, near. Not even close. So... It was it was it, it was it was just a letdown because that match was so great. And then Christian Cage defeats Darby Allen two falls to one 25 minutes. I loved the Darby Allen turtleneck over the head hockey like roll up. Yes. Uh, five minutes yes. in. And then um, I loved the Darby Allen getting counted out uh, idea where mm-hmm. Christian did this just outrageous fucking body slam on steps to Darby to kill him. Now, here's where the match... This is why this was... this Because this was, like, heading towards my match of the night, like, region. Mm-hmm. This is where it loses me a bit in matches like this. So if they would have said two out of three falls, anything goes, you know, accept interference or put something weird like that on there, I'd be, like, totally fine. But we have weird structures in these things where all of a sudden... Christian Kate, like there's a stretcher out and Darby's getting like put on it and the match isn't over. That's always wacky to me. Christian jumps off mm-hmm. there and then he's also ripping apart the ring, exposing boards in the ring. I'm like, none of this is like DQ territory type stuff. And then we have. Right. Yeah. And then we have um, a lot of uh, just kind of Western wrestling tropes involved from there. So it, it lost me there a little uh-huh. bit because I thought prior to all that. I was like, this match is phenomenal. This is right up my alley. We're u- we're utilizing like structures and areas of the ring very uniquely and doing unique crazy mm-hmm. things because Darby's a madman. Uh, but yeah, this was yep. incredible. I thought I thought despite all that, I still went full three. Uh, mm-hmm. Third best match on the show to me. Uh, loved it. That was great. Yeah. Yep. And Cage wins, and yeah, we already I, talked about the debut of and then, and, uh, Mr. Corner. Yeah, and Copeland shows up. Yep. <laughs> I've been coping ever since. What did you call him? Mr. Corner. Mr. Corner? What does yeah. that mean? I don't know. It's not Edge. He has to be a corner. Oh, Edge. <laughs> oh, uh, it took me, took me, took me a sec. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a little slow. Um, Ooh, no. Great, 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 great pay-per-view. Um, maybe the best one this year no i liked all out very more. good i liked all out more hmm. yeah okay at least in terms of aw all right uh you ready to get this uh fucking nitro review out of the way yes let's do it yeah. all right let me play this music god help us Let's see here. We are an hour and 21 minutes into uh, you and I here, and now we're talking WCW. 
Nitro from the year 2000 on February 7th. You know, Ricky, there's a lot of old people on the show now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does that sound like? Uh, it sounds a little bit like uh, where AEW's heading. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. A lot of 50 it year sure olds does. getting pushed over young talent, you know. We got Terry Funk cutting weird ass promos on <laughs> Ric Flair, beating up his son. We got Jeff Jarrett yeah, in charge, but not in charge. But yes, he's in charge. And then dissension in the NWO. Oh, my God. Never seen that before. <laughs> oh, my God. And um, so we're we're two weeks away from Super Bowl. I know you can't wait. Uh-huh. I can't wait. Actually, can't I'm wait. really looking forward to it. <laughs> and get a load of this shit. OK, the first five minutes of the show were so baffling to me. And I knew immediately. Oh, that oh my God. I was yeah. just in for not a treat. What would be the opposite of a treat? Yeah. Torture? Maybe um, torture. Yeah, maybe poop wrapped up in a candy wrapper. Okay. Um So yeah, candy corn. I I even noted <laughs> I even noted that five and a half minutes into the show, Shivani finally gets on commentary and says, Okay, we're gonna open the show with this match. Yeah. Five and a half minutes into the show. Right. Yeah. So we do some weird like thunder recap and randomly Hulk Hogan is back to challenge Lex Luger. Ricky, was Hulk Hogan on the show at yeah. all? No. No, he wasn't. Yeah. No, he was not. He was all, they I were also wait, red and yellow wait, Hulk Hogan. Yes, he was. Wait, 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 hang on. Maybe he was. I don't know for sure because I drank too much when I was watching this, but I wrote, I saw something in my notes that there was a sex predator in the locker room. Um, so that could have been, wait, no, that's Hogan's a racist, not a sex predator. Never mind. <laughs> oh my God. I just, I knew I had written something about someone terrible. So anyway. Oh my God. So, no, Hogan was not on the show. However, they did show a clip of Hulk Hogan on Thunder calling every single one of the young guys in WCW worthless. And uh, he used another word, but I'm like already rolling my eyes. He's talking to Lex Luger. They're doing an angle with him in the middle of the Sting thing. Where's Sting? I don't know. He's not here. Where's Kevin Nash? I don't know. He's not here. So Jeff Jarrett's in charge. And so they do this weird uh, opening, okay? And we get Mm -hmm. the NWO recap on Thunder as well with caged heat, right? Which makes no fucking (laughs) sense. They're still still doing the Sid against NWO thing against all odds, right? Yep. Yeah, and then they also the they're also few they're also trying to like get Terry Funk and Ric Flair to kill each other for some reason. I don't know why they care anymore. But after all this like weird recap that makes basically no sense, we get mm-hmm. all 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 while this is happening, we have this weird like music going on in the background. And I'm like, what the fuck yeah. is that? I honestly thought 
I was playing another video, like on my laptop or something, as I was watching this. <laughs> and I'm like looking for it because I'm like, what's this fucking sound? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What's happening is three counts in the ring and they're like messing oh, with their music yeah. in the arena, but on the television yeah. feed, we're hearing it over all these recaps in this like, it, it's, you mm-hmm. can he- it's, it's high enough where you can hear it, but low enough where you can hear everything else. So we get to the ring and three counts trying to perform and they're trying to do like lip syncing and cut a promo and stuff and nothing's happening. Yeah. And the music's all messed up and it just, it feels like it's a century of what's happening. Like they're purposely fucking up production of the show. Then it cuts to the, like, I don't even know if they showed it in the arena because they sure acted like they didn't know what the fuck was happening. Until Norman Smiley mm-hmm. did come out, but the television As a feed hockey cuts... player this week, right? Well, uh, yeah, like an AHL team, which I was very disappointed when yeah, I saw Edmonton. I'm... I was like, "Are they in? Are they in Alberta?" And it's like, "No, they're oh, in yeah. Tulsa, California." I'm like, "Oh, or no. California? Oh my God, Tulsa, Oklahoma." Did you just say Tulsa, California? What? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. I, well I bet. I bet that's a place well too. But yeah, yeah, um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, terrible city, by the way. I didn't like ever visiting there. Went three times? <laughs> three times. Yeah. Um, Anyways, I've so they cut to the like television truck or what have you. And Norman Smiley's in there telling mm-hmm. him to fuck up the production. And I'm like, oh, my yes. God. I roll. I, I rub my eyes and I go. So their brilliant idea was to purposely fuck For the sake of a story of Norman Smiley fucking up production against Three Count. Of, that's how we start the show. With bad audio that we don't understand we're seeing until we're like five minutes in. I don't know about you, but if I'm watching a show and I feel like things are sh- fucking up, I'm turning it off. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm see we're WCW seasoned and I'm like, I bet they're like doing this on purpose. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. So Norman Smiley comes out. He has a bad match against Evan Courageous. Uh, there's a ton of inter- interference from uh, Shane Helms and Shannon Moore. Uh, yes, we know the yeah. names now, finally. And uh, then yes. at Super Brawl, Norman Smiley challenges all three of them to a handicap match for reasons. For reasons. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Ric Flair and women arrive. Uh, we get uh, Booker <laughs> T with Midnight, and he's all upset that he doesn't have his music and gear anymore. And I guess he's being set up for a drug deal? Or drug bust? I don't know. That was kind of no. weird. Something racist. Yeah. Well, he has a... I mean, Booker T was, like, arrested for robbing a Wendy's. <laughs> What? Yeah, oh yeah, you don't know this story? No. Yeah, Booker T did like prison time for robbing a Wendy's like 30 times. <laughs> what? 30 times? Yeah, he just robbed the same one over and over again. <laughs> you don't Oh my god, you got to look up what? this story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hilarious. This is brand new information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of what they're playing off is his like criminal past. 
So they're treating him like a criminal. Uh, but again, if you don't know okay. this like insider stuff, then you just don't know what the fuck's happening. Well, I guess yeah, I guess you no. could just interpret that because he beat up uh, what's his face last week that Mr. Lawyer guy is setting him up. But the camera was yeah. like, so we're over here now. We're over here. And they're yelling. And they're not really making any sense. It's like, that's his bag. Look at it. And the cops are just like, OK. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, yeah, yeah. So NWR out. They cut a horrible promo. Uh, Scott Hall is dressed like a pimp and he calls himself the Purple Warrior. I kind of laughed at that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I wrote, I should have known by the math promo, but grammar is not Steiner's strong suit. <laughs> no. But here's, here's, then, here's like then... the horrid thing that they did. Why are the Harris brothers cutting promos? I don't know. I don't know. I also don't understand why they would let their talent say their promotion sucks. Yes, they constantly say the show sucks. WCW sucks. All their talent sucks. The management sucks. So WCW sucks. I agree. (laughs) so, so, so So A, why should we watch? And B, why are you still there if it sucks? Like, right. Well, people got to. So uh, bad. People got to. Yeah, but uh, anyways, people got to pay bills. Um, <laughs> did you catch during this uh, NWO promo? I believe it was Jeff Jarrett when he got the mic, and Scott Hall's back, by the way, sort of. And did you catch when yeah. Jeff Jarrett goes, "We are the elite of this company," and he really emphasized it? I was like, ah, ha ha. <laughs> No, I yeah. did not pick up on that. They're calling themselves the elite. <laughs> Got a big smile on my face. Interesting. That's, that's funny. Interesting. Okay. So let's see here. Oh, I got. I, okay, I gotta. I gotta. I gotta say this uh, Scott Steiner promo. And luckily, the review I okay. found online of this uh, has it word for word. And I did want to write all this down, but it's WCW. So who could take notes during this shit? Okay. I took notes. <laughs> okay flair has crooked nose and yellow teeth uh he's ripping off buddy rogers as the real nature boy and then he talks about his death and he's like fumbling around more words uh scott steiner then thinks he stole the gimmick because buddy rogers is dead uh rick flair is old he's an old man uh he's 53 i don't think he's actually 53 at this time Actually, he might be. No, he was. Yeah, he, he was. He was because he's seventy-four now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Fifty-three. That was makes 53. sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he goes when Flair. He literally says this. Flair, when you came out, everyone changed the channel to watch Stone Cold on the other on the other station. And I'm like, oh my god, are we really like advertising that the other show is better as well? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh man. Okay. So Jeff Jarrett ends up booking uh, Sid against Scott. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. So we get to the back at some point in the show, and it's Mean Gene saying that Terry Taylor of the WCW committee is booking a match for the main event because the NWO and Jeff Jarrett are blah blah right? And I just can't help but think that this company is stupid. Why are there so many people in charge randomly all the time? And it's like, okay, if 
the NWO is causing all this all these problems. Why don't they just like usurp power from them like whenever they want? Right. <laughs> so yeah. Terry Taylor comes out, he books uh Sid Vicious against Scott Hall in the main event for the title, and he's got a yeah. big smile on his face. He's like, What happens if Scott Hall wins? Wink wink. I'm like, ugh. Great. NWO dissension coming. Can't wait. Even though Scott Hall hasn't been like teased for that and hasn't been on TV in months. Anyways, um, we get Booker versus The Wall. Terrible match. Uh, this, this is where he gets this, arrested. No, I didn't think this was terrible. It was not. Well, okay, the match was not good. Okay. <laughs> but you did get glimpses. But you did get glimpses of what Booker T is capable of, um, including um, a really awesome axe kick. Um, so they did that. The spinner that's my running. thought on that. Yeah. What'd you yeah. think of him getting arrested after the match ended? Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, great storyline. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Jarrett books Terry Funk to um, face David Flair in an I Quit match because it's going to be Funk yeah. versus Ric Flair in an I Quit match at Super Brawl? Question mark. Okay. Basically, they're trying to recreate, I believe it's the 1989 match. I forget what that was. Uh, it's actually really good. It's a really good match. And they even showed clips on the show. And I go, ah, okay, that's what good wrestling used to look like. <laughs> <laughs> that's what good WCW was and NWA and that stuff. But uh, needless gotcha. to say, Terry Funk beating the shit out of David Flair and quitting himself for mercy towards David uh, was not great. Yeah. Yeah. So David Flair does not care, or uh, Ric Flair does not care about his crazy son. Tank Abbott versus the Barbarian. They uh, punched each other, and then Barbarian got knocked <laughs> out. Um, oh! Yeah, the oh. Barbarian got... What? My favorite part of the show. What? As a fan of women's wrestling, clearly we must talk about the women's okay. wrestling segment. Aren't you excited? Okay. This is when I, okay, this must be when I wrote, <laughs> oh great, there's a sex predator in their locker room looking for anyone who's changing, and then he got upset, or, wait, what did I write here? Hang on, I can't. No, that's I'm, Billy Kidman with the kid cam, because he's a crazy reality guy, a shooting guy, and uh, he's got his girlfriend Tori there, and he's like, oh man, you're not changing? Oh. oh, oh. Yeah, crazy and then kid, he these said, crazy I'm MTV not upset kids. when there are naked girls around. Well. And then I wrote. Then I wrote, okay, I don't remember any of this because I got way too wasted. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, okay, great. The biggest misogynist on the planet is running the women's division and is going to witness all medical exams. Dr. Jeter has on the worst tie I've ever seen. Okay, I remember this now as I'm reading it. And I wrote, ew, this is gross. New commentary is now saying her body parts aren't moving naturally, so of course she's been augmented. Mm -hmm. I want to vomit. No, it's uh, you know, it's a it's a real uh, step up in women's wrestling. Uh, you can see how far it's come in the last uh, twenty years. Uh, Vince Russo, uh, notorious uh, pusher of women's wrestling. Um, no, none of that's true. It's it's all garbage. So <laughs> we talked about the Oklahoma. Like storyline with yes. Medusa and being a misogynistic pig, right? And the whole idea yes. 
is like women can overcome and win, but they lost. Medusa especially. Right. And the the grand follow up to all this is WCW has appointed Oklahoma for Heat to be in charge of the new women's division. In which case, these adorable women have no place in wrestling, but, you know, we'll give them a chance, hearty har. And uh, to go along with this, yes, as you said, Oklahoma is going to do extensive personal medical tests with the doctors uh, through all the women in this amazing division that he's just very much sarcastically saying. Like, they're already telling you that this division is going to be shit and misogynistic. Can't wait. Yeah. And so this um, brings out I need to I'm sorry. I need to pause for a moment. Okay. Um my dog is acting like a crazy dog even though I took her out before we sat down to record. I want to take her outside before she pees all over my floor. All right. Well, I'll just you know what? How about this? I will finish the WCW review and finish the show. How about that? Uh okay. Yeah. We'll do that. Okay. So Ricky's going if I'm still talking and she comes back, then uh, we'll continue on. How about that? Is that fair? We've been at this a while. Yeah, yeah. I'll be right back. Yeah. All right. Okay, um, if, if, wait, wait, if I don't make it back by the time you finish, I just want to say that my next note is, I am so sad that this show was <laughs> part of Mean Gene's career. Oh, <laughs> well said. Well I'll said. leave you with that. If, so, I don't, if I don't make it back by the time you wrap it up, have a good time. I'll see you next time. All right. Look at that, guys. She She's ducking out in the middle of the WCW review. And honestly, I can't blame her, especially when we got to the no, massage. I, want her, I really want to talk about it. My dog is being pissy. I'll be back. Talk slow. <laughs> so it's all, it's all coincidental during the most misogynistic uh, storyline we've seen yet. Uh, so... Uh, Oklahoma brings out Dr. Jeter, and apparently he is the man who has done tons of procedures on a lot of women, including Medusa. Ah, uh, you guys see where this is going. And, uh, he does a long promo of going, what have you done with Medusa? And he's like, oh, well, patient confidentiality. And then he proceeds to break every single rule of it, where he goes, all right, just answer yes or no. Did you work on her, her face, her nose, her boobs, her ass, her, uh... Her mouth, uh, everything, and he, he just he's just constantly going, yes, 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 yes. And he's like, oh, hot damn! Is anything real about this woman? I can't have her in our division. She's not real. So, honestly, I thought they were going to go even a step further worse with saying she's actually a man or something, but thank God they didn't at least go that low. But, hey, there's always next week, am I right? Uh, this is the moment where Terry Taylor comes in, they book the match, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the clips from the 1989 Funk Flair I Quit match. And then we get the Terry Funk beatdown of David Flair threatening to essentially kill his kid until he comes out. Ric Flair does not come out. And uh, that leads to him just going, all right, well, I'm not going to actually kill your son. But hey, uh, I mean, it was a, kind of a good beatdown. But like, who could possibly have sympathy for David Flair? Uh so in the back, actually, Arn is yelling at Ric Flair to kind of let his son get beat up, and Ric Flair needs to stop being Rick and start being a father. Ooh, so uh, 
that made Arn sick, and Anderson is uh, out on Ric Flair, and it doesn't seem like he is siding with Terry Funk either. A match uh, I know everyone was very much, uh, 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 you know, heading to the box office for to buy tickets. It was Stevie Ray against Disco Inferno. Uh, they do a lot of just, you know, slapjack, Disco Inferno gets squashed, whatever. I'm back! Um, Hey, all right. All I did was uh, get to the Stevie Ray Disco Inferno match. And then that okay, happened. Let me see if I let me see if I have anything on that. Um, Damn, I told all those jokes that you dipped out during the most misogynistic storyline we've seen yet. I was like, it, it was... Yeah, but I, I gave my, I gave my thoughts on okay. on those before I left. <laughs> I don't have anything on. Oh, I forgot to say Medusa did come out during that and uh, sort of kicked, oh, yeah. kicked their ass, but not really. She just kind of threw some kicks. Not really. Brian Knobs versus Bam Bam Bigelow, hardcore title. Who could possibly give a shit about this title? And we still have Fit Finley involved um, with yeah. Brian Knobs. I don't get it. No. Steve Borden was announced to be on The Late Show. Not Sting. Steve Borden. Yes. WCW's yes. Terrible. I did I did write that. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, I wrote, oh my god, let, reference to The Late Show with Craig Hilborn. Um, <laughs> continue. Sorry. We get a random match of Billy Kidman versus the Kiss Demon. I can't believe this is a thing. Yeah. I didn't write anything down on that. I don't know why, but uh, that was weird. I don't know. Billy Kidman wins. Like, who who gives a shit? They're, doing, they're also doing it's this good. weird thing with Crowbar is like a big Kiss fan. So he comes out and the demon like blows him off. I'm like, I don't know. Right. Luger comes to the ring. All while they're plugging the movie Ready to Rumble. Ooh, can't wait. And then the Luger... The David Arquette movie yeah, that made yeah. him win the belt? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, that's how that happened. So Luger cuts a promo about Hogan and his, like, thunder thing. And uh-huh. then Jimmy Hart comes out, and he beats up Jimmy Hart. I'm like, okay. <laughs> then we get our main event, Sid Vicious versus Scott Hall for the WCW World title. You know, World Championship Wrestling World title. Kind of redundant, but... Uh, yeah. It's, um... They actually did an overrun for the show, I believe. And so they went, like, an extra ten minutes longer. So that's why the show felt longer uh. than usual. And they kind of sort of had a match that they tried. And I couldn't believe this. So they do a like wacky ref bump that's really, really bad. It um mm-hmm. it's like a fallaway slam that goes into the ref that like misses him by a mile. And so the, right. the ref's down, and then Scott Hall just kind of gets Sid in the uh razor's edge and puts him down for three. Mm-hmm. All while Jeff Jarrett is like out there causing mischief, and then I'm like, "Oh my god, they're pinning Sid Vicious!" Yeah, they're just straight up pinning him. Um, and so Jeff Jarrett yeah. is is like, "Hey, wait a sec, Scott Hall can't win this title." I'm like, "What does it matter? <laughs> like you, st- it's not changing your title match at Super Brawl, right?" And then it's I- the NWO. Couldn't they just do the finger poke of doom that they tease once a year now? 
So then Jeff Jarrett gets in the ring, hits Scott Hall with a guitar, and then puts Sid over him. I'm like, I hate this show. Because <laughs> the one thing um, that they were doing like right yeah. was Sid Vicious was this just unbeatable monster. Yes. And the crowd's reacting to him. By the way, yeah, there yeah. is an absurd told- amount of fake crowd noise on this show. Oh, yes. Um, but the crowd actually did react to Sid. And this episode, for whatever reason, I finally it finally hit me like why people were so into him. He was the only person on the show that was doing what it takes to be a great wrestler promos and in ring. He's the, he's the only one doing it. Right. The only one doing it. Sid was so good at being Sid. And you know, it's like, he's not, he's far away, not a work rate guy. And this is like proof to me where if you book someone right, you can get them over to this extent. And I was like in my head comparing like how Jade Cargill was booked in AEW. And I'm like, this is how she should have been booked. Just cutting like yes. wacky promos. Just let her go out there. If she like fumbles over shit, obviously no one actually cares. I mean, we get Sid, we get Scott Steiner fumbling over stuff all the time. We think it's great. <laughs> and then just right. have them kick ass for five to eight minutes. Yeah. Stack odds against them and they'll get over. Yeah. Yep. Just have them win doing cool shit. That's yep. it. It it, it, it yep. It's not rocket science to me. And yet on this night, WCW was like, no, we got to tell the story of dissension in the NWO. Oh, right. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you don't have to do that. That's bad. It's very poor. Right. So yeah, poor. it's poor. So yeah, uh, that that's the the big tease going off the air is dissension in the NWO again, and um, maybe we'll get Kevin Nash to come back. And oh man, can't wait. Yeah, maybe. Where has he been in real life during all of this? No, he's just off. Is he the written show. off for a reason? No, he's just off okay. the show. They're doing they're doing a story with him. Where okay. Sid beat him up so bad, he's he's like hurt. Remember, they had like the cage match at, at Thunder and stuff. Yeah, and, no, I yeah. know, but I wasn't sure if there was a reason for writing him off. No, not that I know of. Perhaps, it, you know, I I used to do like a bunch of research before these nitros, right? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Now it's just like everything's so fucked up in the company. It's like I don't know. <laughs> Is it even worth it? Like the like, it's always something political, or I mean, we see it on screen play out how messed up this company is. So it's like I don't know, is it like who cares that at this point? It's all in front of right. me. Uh, the radicals all showed up on Raw. That happened. I think it was this week. I don't know who the radicals are. That's are Perry radicals? Saturn, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Benoit. Oh right, right, right. That's I think th- I'm pretty sure this was the right. Raw that they showed up. So everyone watched Raw instead of Nitro. As they as they do, gotcha. It was like even well, worse. They should have. <laughs> they were they were right. Do that. So yeah. Well, all right. This was a elongated episode. We had a lot of AEW <laughs> to talk about. This is long. Yeah. I did have a uh, a nice Friday night with you. Yeah, back at you. Right. It's always great to chat. Uh, next time, I guess we'll be talking about kind of the last couple weeks of. AEW kind of falling out from the ratings fiasco and uh, the New Japan show. 
from uh, England. Yeah. Very um, interesting. And I have and I have Lucha Libre and Laughs next Friday, um, which so far, hang on, let me pull up match graphics. Tell you what's been announced so far. Um, Dalton Castle was originally booked, but he got pulled for I wonder some if he's reason. Injured right now. Maybe. Um, so here are the matches that have been announced so far. We have Simon Gotch versus Royce Isaacs. Mm. We have Lilith Grimm, who is a local competitor, versus Mio Yamashita. Um, Lilith was also given a match versus Masha Slamovich at the June anniversary show. And it was great seeing her work with someone of Masha's ability. Um, the women's wrestling scene in Colorado is not the strongest. So finally seeing what Lilith could do against, like, again, like I said, somebody with that ability um, was really interesting to me. I thought it was very, very good. And so I'm really looking forward to what she can do against Yamashita. Mm -hmm. There's a four-way match announced. Fuego del Sol versus Anaya versus Delta Jr. versus Logan. Um, the local guys in that match are all very, very good. Obviously, you've heard me sing the praises of Anaya for ages. Delta Jr. is a very, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. very, Delta Jr. is a very capable luchador. And Logan is a 21-year-old high flyer who has a lot of promise. And the main event next Friday is a three-way for the now, uh, what's the word? United, undisputed. That's the word. Undisputed Lucha Libre Championship currently held by Hattie Howitzer. It's a three-way, including Leva Bates and Emi Sakura. Oh, cool. So that Sick. is going to be real fun. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun match. Looking forward to your review on the next hey, episode. Looking yeah, I can't wait to share my experience with you. Um, with that, I don't want to spend any more time. <laughs> on this. We'll talk soon. Peace out.